0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is Stephen Dimmitt. Today's guest on the podcast is John Glassberg. John is the owner of Louder Than Eleven, a media production company that has been a leader in the outdoor industry for over a decade. If you don't recognize John's name, you have likely seen one of his films or photos, or perhaps you've seen some of his live footage from IFSC climbing competitions in the past. John is a photographer, storyteller, and filmmaker who also climbs at an extremely high level. He's bouldered up to V14, and he is very much a training fanatic as well. So we had a lot to talk about. We covered a lot of ground in this two-part conversation, and we had a ton of fun. John is a great storyteller and very easy to talk to. In part 1, we talked about filming with Emily Harrington on her one-day ascent of Golden Gate. John was with her when she sent Golden Gate the first time around back in 2015 in a 6-day push, and he has been filming with her on this project ever since. And he shared some rather harrowing stories from the side of El Cap, including what it was like witnessing Emily's accident back in 2019. He's filmed a lot up there over the years. He's filmed free ascents of some of the hardest routes on El Cap, including Jörg Verhoven's free ascent of dihedral wall. He was also a camera operator for the film Free Solo, and has worked closely with many of the greatest climbers of our time. So it was a blast to sit down with him and hear some of his stories. In this episode, we also talked about John's early climbing, about getting featured in the magazines back when V12 was hard. That's in air quotes. It's still hard for most of us. And we talked about his early filming and how Louder Than 11 got started. Finally, in part one, we talked about pursuing the goal to climb V15 and reaching out to Steve Mache to get some training advice to try to climb the Big Island. John's V15 project in Fontainebleau, and John told me about a very bizarre injury that he is still struggling with. It was really interesting. We do talk about training in this episode, but we get much deeper into the weeds with training in part two, so you can look forward to that next week. In the meantime, please enjoy part one with John Glassberg.
1: Cause, 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 no can
0: do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. I'm just sound checking still. what? Tell me what you had for breakfast. Uh, I'm not a breakfast person. You're not?
2: No. Okay. I am a coffee and then I do an intermittent fast until lunch usually. Interesting. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Oof, a long time. At least <clears throat> 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I will eat breakfast. Like, it's not like I always skip breakfast. Like If I'm going to go like do <laughs> Anti- something, breakfast. but like 99% of the time I'm in here like working. That's uh-huh. what no one tells you about making films and taking photos is that all of your time is actually spent in front of a computer and like 5% <laughs> of it is spent out actually doing cool shit. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of intermittent fasting when I'm just here drinking coffee and chilling. Is it a productivity thing or is it a health thing or both or...
0: Um I actually tried this. I did the same thing for quite a while Yeah, and I've just recently gone away from it. So I'm really curious.
2: I found that I am a, I'm definitely a morning person and I definitely am like way more productive from seven to 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm. So I usually just focus on work stuff in the morning and I can get a lot done and then I can like, you know, and then I'll eat some food and then I'll like be less productive for the rest of the day. <laughs> okay. But if I'm like going climbing or something, I will definitely eat. Okay. Um, Cause I like, I'm a big guy. I'll like crash pretty hard. And you are. Yeah, you're, yeah. How tall are you? Six, three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 What does a breakfast
0: look like on a climbing day? If you just need to get some fuel
2: uh, or an LCAP filming day? Yeah. Well, that's a totally different game, but okay. I guess like a climbing day would just be like cereal. Okay. Yeah. Cereal and milk. Yeah. Maybe a banana, a lot of coffee, a lot of water. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's, um, yeah. what's your favorite cereal or go-to? I'll do like, I'm not picky at all. I don't have like a very strict diet whatsoever. So I'll do like any type of granola, anything sugary okay that, that goes down easy yeah <laughs> i don't like like especially if you wake up early i hate trying to like force myself to eat it's like, uh-huh. but it's if it tastes good then it's nice okay yeah, i can get it down okay yeah what about the lcap day uh that's just all about calories i mm. think it's just as much food as you can stomach throughout the whole day i'll just bring like a huge bag of bars and mm. all kinds of like weird meat jerky stuff and like a little bit of everything bunch mm. of sandwiches mm-hmm. i'll probably eat like three to 4,000 calories in a day doing that. Sure. Because you're just like out all day. Like when we were shooting with Emily, like for like send day, basically, she's like waking up at 11 p.m. And we're like, I was probably up at 11. I basically didn't go to sleep. And yeah. then we're there <laughs> until, you know, we went to bed the next, the following day at like 4 a.m. So it's like 20 plus 30 hour days, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's like a long that's like a major day of like eating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I've been drinking water like all the time. What about
0: caffeine?
2: You- Tons of it. Longer. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the yes. more the better. Yes to everything caffeine. Uh-huh. I mean like shot blocks with caffeine all the time. Okay. Um, gels with caffeine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not picky at all. As long as I can stomach it, I'm psyched on it. Uh-huh. I think you kind of pay the price the next couple of <laughs> days because your stomach's a little tweaked, but yeah.
0: So interesting. Okay. So we just kind of rolled right in, but yeah. yeah. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Really nice to, to be here and to be chatting with you, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad we connected. Yep. We were just talking about Emily Harrington. So you were, you guys just got back from Yosemite. Yeah. Tell me about
2: that. How was the most recent shoot? Obviously she sent. Yep. Successful shoot. Yep. It was awesome. Um, it was like, you know, five years in the making basically, which was really satisfying.
0: I just learned that today.
2: Yeah. That you've been working on this for a
0: very, very long time.
2: Yeah, this kind of started in 2015 when Emily first climbed Golden Gate, um, which took her six days. And, you know, it was kind of her first foray into big wall free climbing. So I think we had kind of like sowed the seed at that point. And it was, you know, just in in the background, she was always thinking about trying to do it better and faster and mm. in a more um, respectable style for her. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, for any professional athlete, that's kind of like the ultimate pinnacle of achievement in climbing, which is like, I mean, yeah, some people want to climb nine a or they want to, you know, Boulder V 15 or whatever, but like, I think free climbing El Cap in a day is like this crazy benchmark achievement that once you've done it or tried it, you know, what it takes to get there. Mm. And we were along for Emily's whole process, which was extra special. And like all the highs and lows, because there's been some crazy stuff that's gone down yeah. in her attempt to free climate. So, yeah, I mean, this year was like, we were just like, please, just don't crater and die, and <laughs> yeah. let's have a great time instead of all this like Jeez. scary stuff that's happened with her in the past. So, I yeah, had was- her on,
0: and we talked about her fall. Yep, and, and you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was really scary.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think I didn't because she was fine, you know, and she walked away more or less unscathed. I think I didn't fully appreciate it until i heard you talk about it yeah a little bit having seen it
2: yeah yeah it was it was really messed up actually like i have been i've been a climber since i was 11 so 25 years now and i have been around a couple climbing accidents here and there that have been like kind of bad but you know removed from my direct involvement Mm. and i've never been with like a friend that's gotten like Hurt or taken a bad fall, Um, especially when I've been directly involved, and uh, and also like kind of feel like responsible for because I'm there like you know capturing this too. So (laughs) I'm certainly not responsible, but at the same time, you are there and you are encouraging it. So it's not like you're not associated. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) you're you're, Uh, you're at least guilty inside. (laughs) I felt guilt. Yes, (laughs) but yeah, she yeah she cratered really bad, and we it it was way worse than I thought at first like <laughs> it was pretty bad like she took this huge fall it was really scary and you know she smashed into the wall really loudly and made this horrifying noise and like her headlamp came flying off and smashed on the ground next to us and then oh, it was like total wow. darkness because it happened at like i don't know four in the morning or something okay and
0: you're filming from the ground yeah right i was below. just
2: sitting there filming with um alex honnold who's belaying her okay um and Sonny has wife now was uh just like sitting next to him she had come up for the day to support and hang out and um so it was me and alex and sonny and adrian and tara um, another filmmaker that was working with us had gone around the top yeah tara Kirshner. okay and uh so they were kind of removed but they were still part of our group yeah and so we like she she falls it goes dark you know it's like really scary. And then she, like, kind of comes to after a couple seconds and, you know, just starts, like, wailing, like, horrible, heinous wailing that we were like, oh, my God. At first, I thought she was dead. And then I was like, oh, okay, she's alive. But, like, we didn't know. She couldn't communicate really at all. The footage is crazy. (laughs) Oh, you're filming. Yeah, yeah. Because I was filming Alex, like, getting ready to simul climb with her. Yeah. So, basically, they were going to climb the free blast and basically all the way up through the alcove and a little bit higher in big simul blocks, because mm. it's way faster. And mm-hmm. if you want to free climb El Cap in a day, especially on the, like one of the longest routes in El Cap, you have to be moving pretty fast. And Alex is super fast and efficient, obviously. Even with a rope on, he's like crazy fast, it's amazing. Mm. So, you know, like he's following pitches, like hand over handing the rope, like in two minutes. And, you know, normal people would be jugging and, you know, transitioning at the belay and all that stuff. And it just doesn't really work, so. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was transitioning into simul climbing mode when she fell, and she just took this crazy whipper, like, unexpected. It was really cold. Um, I think she just had a foot slip. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a total freak accident. And Alex actually did, like, a really good job belaying, I think, contrary to what people have probably been talking about. Um, but he was putting on his shoe to transition into simul mode. And when she fell, Alex, like, the rope pulled up in front of him. Like... A huge amount of rope just like pooled right in front of him, like piled up in a stack. Yeah. And then went out really quickly. Yeah. And he grabbed the rope above the Grigri and stopped her with his hands. So I don't think he actually even like did much. Yeah. Because I think she had already hit a ledge or like gotten wedged in like a, like kind of like this weird triangular portion of the wall where it kind of dihedrals. Okay. So she had already kind of like stopped when he grabbed the rope. So I don't know if it would have mattered if he was doing any different type of belaying because he kind of just grabbed the rope above and didn't have any burns or anything. He was basically fine. Hmm. Yeah, so he transitioned into like a climbing mode and he went up to her and kind of stabilized her and was like, I don't feel comfortable moving her. You know, she's complaining of neck and back injury and pain and all this stuff. So we were like, okay, like we called search and rescue and they came and got her off the wall. And it was at the first pitch. So it was like pretty low to the ground. It was like still dark. And yeah, we just kind of wheeled her out of there and sent her off on her way to the hospital in Fresno. Jeez. And we I mean, if it had been if it had been anyone other than Emily Harrington, like they would have exploded and turned to dust. But that girl is so tough, man. (laughs) She is like she is a hard climber girl. Like awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was like very relieving that she didn't have any like very serious injuries. Yeah. But I think she did actually have some like strained tendons in her elbow, maybe in her shoulder. And I mean, obviously she smashed her head really hard. She wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, Yeah. And concussions are no joke. Right. But overall, I would say she mostly came away unscathed from what could have been like a very serious accident.
3: Man.
0: Yeah. So this year, as people have likely seen and heard, she sent the route. Yep. And if people have looked at Instagram, there's a number of pictures with her with a big scrape on her head and a bandage on her head. What happened with that?
2: Yeah. So I don't know. It was like in in classic Emily style, like nothing went down without like a dramatic moment. Um, You're like, yes, thank you. Yeah, I was like, Great wow, content. this is amazing. A couple of times, Adrian and I looked at each other and we were like, wow, this is really good content for the movie. Um, such an interesting uh, dichotomy, I guess. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. This is nuts. But yeah, so I guess I'll tell you about the day. So yeah, woke up really early. She wanted to climb like up to this portion of golden gate called the down climb which is like a little over halfway up the mountain Mm -hmm. but a lot of climbing so like 20 something pitches in Mm -hmm. um so she wanted to climb up to there in the dark basically so she could climb the down climb in the shade before it goes in the sun because otherwise it's really hard um it's slippery technical down climbing slab it's Mm -hmm. like a heinous pitch so yeah her and alex like started up simul climbing and they simuled the free blast and you know went up across and threw the monster off with into the alcove and Got up to the down climb in pretty good time, like right before sunrise, which was awesome. Um, I think it was like maybe four hours from the <laughs> ground to there, which is crazy fast. Yeah, <laughs> I think they did it in like four pitches, basically, or five pitches. Gee, how many feet of climbing? Uh, well, it's weird ballpark. because you climb up the free blast, and then you down climb like maybe 200 feet to uh, like off Mammoth Terrace down to Heart Ledge. Okay, and then from Heart, you do some traverses as well, and then you climb up. I mean, it's probably. I don't know, 2,500 feet of climbing. Jeez. It's a lot of climbing. Yeah. And like Golden Gate is, I think that in the topo, it's like 30 plus or 40 pitches basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like pitches don't really matter when you're simul free climbing in a day because you're mm. kind of just connecting things and stopping where it makes sense. And then when you get to hard pitches, you like throw down on the hard pitch. Mm. But yeah, they they climb really well up to, yeah, Emily was, Emily was cruising. Like she looked like a beast, like a totally different climber than... You know i had ever seen and hmm. i've been with her on el cap for the past three seasons like filming with her so wow it was sick like she was a totally different climber and looked like super confident like crazy fit like at one point alex like looked up at her and he was like you look like so buff right now you're like so fit it's crazy and you can just like tell she was in like a different shape like it was a different scene huh it was sick <laughs> yeah i was like oh shit. okay this is like gonna happen Like, it's going down this year, like, for sure. Cool. So, yeah, she did the down climb after, like, one little foot slip. She, like, repeated it and went and sent that pitch. And then there's, like, a bunch of filler pitches that are pretty easy to get up to this pitch called the move, Mm -hmm. which is, like, a 513, like, long sport pitch, basically, on Mm -hmm. this amazing head wall of El Cap. And, yeah, she, like, fired that off first try. It was, like, 10 a.m. or something. And was like totally cruising, looked like she was just going to stomp the route, like it was going to be no biggie. And climbed up through the chicken wing chimney and then this last couple little like 511 pitches to get to um, this area called the Tower to the People, which is maybe, let's see, it's like one, two, three, four, five or six pitches from the summit. So it's really close to the top. and. Once you're on Tower to the People, there's two crux pitches. There's the Golden Desert, which is like a thirteen minus, mm-hmm. and then the A five Traverse, which is also a thirteen minus. Mm-hmm. And I think she wanted to try to get the Golden Desert pitch done uh, before the sun like really made the rock hot. Okay, and then she was gonna like chill for the day until the A5 went in the shade and then just fire the A5 and go to the top. Okay. Cause it's all like it's weird. You're trying to like climb it in the best conditions. And if it's at your limit when you're, you know, 12 hours into a day, you want to like throw it down. You don't want to like fall. Mm-hmm. And every time you make a little mistake, it like kind of translates down the line mm-hmm. and it gets harder and harder and harder. So every time you fall, it's like Ooh, like put that hash mark, you know, mark yeah. that off. That's one fall. Like you don't have a lot of those. Yeah. So she went up and started the climb on, she started climbing on golden desert and it was, I don't know, 11 o'clock or noon or something like that. Um, Honald bailed. He, he jugged out. Oh, funny. Um, yeah. Cause we had a rope fixed to shoot. And so Alex <laughs> bailed because he was just like, I don't want to sit around here and toil away while Emily like tries these pitches. He was okay. just like, it could take a while. It, there's a lot of emotion involved, and Honold's not really uh, an emotional guy or in tune with the emotional side of other climbers, so he bailed, <laughs> and Adrian took over as belayer okay. and kind of like took her to the top. Um, so that's yeah, amazing. He, yeah, yeah, that's great. It I worked love, great. Love it that. worked awesome. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had a good system, and and he, yeah, he started belaying her up on um, Golden Desert, and there's like a crux section of Golden Desert like down low. It's like a tips layback crack. Um, that leads into like a big undercling in this roof. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe like, I don't know, 20 feet of like small fingers lay backing on like, you know, smeary granite face that's like really slippery. And uh, Emily went up and placed some gear and then she took a fall like unexpectedly. Like she in the footage, it was weird. She like had her foot kind of in the crack. She went to like chalk up and her foot just like slipped. And she like ripped out a piece of gear and took like a, I don't know, 25, 30 footer. It was like kind of scary. Yeah. We were like, whoa, okay. So that was like startling, but it wasn't like too much of an investment. She had only been, I don't know, I was like maybe 40 feet off the belay or something. Okay. So she went back to the belay and rested for a while. She was like, yeah, I'll give it one more try. And if I don't send it because it's too hot, then I'll rest until it gets darker. And then we'll try it in the shade when it's good temps. So she like started up again. Um, after a little rest, and she got through the like layback tips crux down low, and got into this like big undercling section that's kind of got like a good cam placement, and then kind of like a another cruxy move to get out of it. Okay, and the cruxy move to get out of that section is kind of like reaching from an undercling in a roof to like a weird foot stab, like way out left, hmm. and when you I guess she, she kind of like messed up the beta a little bit. She like missed the foot the first try. And then she tried to go like hand first instead of foot first and like totally just like freestyling her beta. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm like right there filming with her. And she just like missed the hold completely and like kind of fell sideways. And she was only, she must have only been like, five feet out from her piece of gear that was put in the roof, like right behind her. Okay. Um, But it had like a 120 sling on it. So it was like slung long and she was like maybe 60 feet up on the pitch or whatever. And she just took like this pretty big whipper because there's a lot of slack out and like, you know, it was like through a weird portion of the wall that kind of like snaked around and stuff. So it was like a lot of rope. And she took like, I don't know, 20, 25 foot fall, which would have been totally normal. But I think the way that she fell, it was like kind of sideways. And in the footage, it looks like she kind of, like, slides sideways. And then the fall is totally normal. She, like, comes to, like, an almost normal stop on the rope. But then she, like, whiplashes her head into the wall. Like, like almost looks like it was, like, intentional or something. It was crazy. Like, it looks weird. Like, you watch the footage and you're like, oh, no. It just looks really bad. And it makes, like, this horrible noise. And she puts both of her hands to her face, like, to cover her face. Yeah. And, like, as soon as she falls, she puts her hands over her head. And then she brings her hand down a second later, and they're just full of blood. Oh. And, like, blood is raining down. Blood is all over the belay down below, <laughs> like, dripping down on the people oh. that were at the ballet. Oh There's, like, God. splatters all the way down. Oh my! I was God. just like, oh, my God. Like, what just happened? Like, everyone was like, what? Like, we could not believe it. So, Adrian lowers her down to the ballet, And uh, she... She's obviously, like, really upset because I think, you know, at that moment, she thought she was being robbed of the send Mm. because it felt it felt really unfair. Hmm. And I think she she just kept saying over and over again, she was like, this is like not fair. Like, Hmm. it's not right. Like something's like not right with this Hmm. because she was so fit. Like you knew it was on. She was absolutely going to send. And then this happens. And we're just like, oh my God, like, I can't believe it. So I wrapped down to the ballet, and I'm like hanging out with her and Adrian. She's like crying, obviously. She's really upset. Not only, probably not because of the pain, but more that this is being taken away from sure. her. Sure, yeah. And we're on the ballet there with this guy named Aaron and another guy that was his partner and Adrian, myself, a guy that was helping me rig named uh, Topo. And all four of those guys are mountain guides. They're all like, you know. Dudes that spend time, they know wilderness medicine. They're they've been in the mountains, they've been around accidents. And they're like, ooh, this looks really bad. Like Mm -hmm. she said she saw stars, she said she saw black. We're like, okay, she's concussed. We may have to like rescue her somehow. Mm -hmm. And again, like if this had happened to anyone else, they would have (laughs) exploded. But Emily is like super tough. And so we just like chilled for a while. We were like, you know, it's hot. You were gonna rest anyway. There was a portal edge set up for these guys that were trying to climb golden gate over multiple days so we had like a portal edge to go chill in they were super nice they were like go chill in the portal edge like you know take a breather mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we were all just kind of like okay let's just see what happens over the next you know couple hours and yeah she just kind of like i don't know i think she decided that it was worth a try to try again after like you know it got a little cooler she had had time to like chill out. She was super adrenalized. We we're all like kind of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And I think she owed it to herself to just try it. So, I mean, after a couple hours and like resting and like letting it get cooled off, she like tried it again. Hmm. It was crazy. Like Adrian, Adrian was like, you know, would you be okay? Like going down and not trying again? She was like, no. Wow. And we were like, well, why don't you just try it again. And if it feels out of your comfort range, then don't try. So I think she was just kind of like, she was going to try it and go up and just kind of feel it out. And if it felt dangerous or if she felt like she didn't have what it took anymore, or if she lost the, the drive, then she would have just, you know, bailed. We would have bailed. Yeah. It was super intense. I like, I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Like, I don't know if she is going to, have the mental fortitude to like you know get over this injury she's covered in blood like her whole (laughs) head was like covered in blood i have these crazy photos like her nose was all bloody it took like a like i don't know a dime-sized chunk like right out of her forehead it was crazy it was like a perfect circular chunk and you could like move the skin around and see like into her head (laughs) and we were like oh god like this is like pretty bad like when you see white inside of a cut <laughs> you yeah. like that's a bad cut <laughs> so we were like oh god and like her eye was already turning black and stuff so we were just Jesus. like this is gnarly and like normal people would have been like all right i'm out of here yeah but she was just like and i didn't learn this till later but she was like this was my try hmm. and i talked to her about it a bunch afterwards and we were like i was like well why why didn't you just decide that that was enough to go down for the day call it good, come back a week or two later. And yeah. She was like, she was treating it like it was her try. And that was it. Huh. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe a, a few weeks later, she would have had some dig deep and she probably would have been able to try again. Yeah. But I think that she was approaching it mentally from the position that she was going to go to the top. And that was it. And like, you know, she's got, I don't know. She's, <laughs> she's like a, you know, world champion, like competition climber, like, you know, badass like you know sport climber mountaineer she's done everything and like she has this mental approach that's a little bit different than i think a lot of people's approach and that's what makes her great like i'm gonna do this now she was gonna go do it then yeah Yeah. and and also like it snowed like a couple days later like there was a big storm coming like Mm. it was kind of like all this pressure was building Mm. she had like partners arranged like you know there's 10 people involved in her like trying to climb this thing so like everybody was kind of like okay, let's like try this pitch one more time. And like, if it goes, it goes, if it doesn't inside, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but like, she was kind of like, this is my Hail Mary basically, hmm. which was awesome for film. So she, yeah, but I think the universe just wanted you guys to make an amazing film. <laughs> I think so too. I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. Like I had been on this crazy journey with her too. And I was like, I mean, certainly not nearly to the depth that she's been, but I felt like I had been along for the ride for a lot of it. Right. right. And Adrian was there and like, he had been along for the ride as well. It's like, it's a lot of emotion mm-hmm. and like, it's different with alex alex is weird because he is like a superhero he doesn't approach things like normal people do hmm. or even like other professional climbers like emily is extremely good at climbing but she can't go climb on El Cap like once a week and like free climb to the top of the mountain like mm. she needs rest she needs like strategy alex treats every try on El Cap like just another day of training. So he's just like, oh, I'm going out. I'm going to like try to free climb Golden Gate. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, I'll come back, you know, a few days later. And that's like normal for him. (laughs) Yeah. But that's not normal for other people. For anyone else. For anybody else. Maybe Tommy, right? Yeah. Like a few people in the world. Yeah. And for someone like Tommy and Alex and maybe Brad and, you know, these elite few that have excelled at free climbing on El Cap in a day, especially in a day it's just a different game. It's a different skill set, and it's a different, like, it's a different type of body intensity that you go through physically and mentally that mm. they're just really good at. Mm. Like Tommy linked up two free routes in a day mm-hmm. on El Cap. Like, I don't think people understand that. People don't understand that.
0: Yeah. How has your understanding of a free climbing El Cap in a day and some of these accomplishments shifted in the last few years being up there filming?
2: Um well I guess free climbing in a day is significantly more impressive to me than starting at the bottom and taking as long as it takes to get to the top hmm. because if you're free climb, and I'm I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody that free climbs over multiple days and, and, you know, sends these amazing climbs like the nose or magic mushroom or dihedral wall or all these crazy accomplishments that people have done. Yeah. But there's a big difference between climbing something from the bottom to the top in a day in a 24-hour push than there is for kind of just toiling away until it gets done.
1: Because mm-hmm.
2: if you can take rest days – and if you can like work pitches, and like if your objective for the day is a crux pitch, there's such a difference like mentally, physically, just the whole deal is totally different on like the in a day scale. Hmm. It's, it's just drastically different. Um, so that's changed a lot. Like I've I've shot with Yorg on the nose and a huge wall, and I've shot with Babsy and Jacopo on uh, Zodiac and Magic Mushroom. Yeah, um, and I've shot with Lynn and Nina on the nose and emily on golden gate twice well multiple times but and alex when he free soloed um yeah i just learned that you also shot on that i'd forgotten that yeah 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 so like i've done a lot of the walls now like i've been up almost all of the like main free climbing routes now okay and like some of them don't get done in a day they just can't like dihedral wall would be so crazy to do in a day it's like 10 pitches of like 13 plus or harder. Yeah, so like uh, some routes are like not really free climbable in a day. Or right. they are, eventually they will be. Like someone will probably free climb the Dawn Wall in a day if they want to. Like hmm. I'm sure that's possible at one hmm. point. But right now, nobody's really doing the really hard, hard stuff in mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like my perception of what an in a day ascent is, is changed drastically. Hmm. And most people, if they're free climbing in a day besides alex tommy and brad were climbing on freerider mm. and the difference between free climbing free rider and free climbing any other route on the mountain is that like free rider kind of boils down to like can you climb all this hard all this like relatively moderate terrain in a day and can you fire off this one crux pitch right and if you can do the crux you're set like you can definitely Start leveling up to that in a day thing if you've already done it, you know, over multiple days. Mm -hmm. James Lucas is a great example. Like the guy realized that he could, you know, free climb the route over multiple days. And then he was just like, you know what? I think I can do this in a day. And so he just, you know, toiled away at it until it was his. Hmm. So, and, and I think that's like, that's what gets lost on people. And that's why I think Emily's accomplishment is so impressive because Golden Gate is essentially free rider, but with, you know, four very serious crux pitches all at the top of the mountain Hmm. and they're all like you know a little about the same grade as i would say the boulder problem probably comes down to Hmm. so like you have a lot of very serious climbing right at the top of the mountain which has shut down people like all the time honold got shut down brad got shut down ethan's tried it twice got shut down yeah like people get annihilated on this route yeah and it's hard because it's long and it's hard because it's you know, stacked climbing right at the end. And it's just when you're 16, 18 hours into a day, like you just don't have the same, you know, strength <laughs> that you normally would. <laughs> right. Um, and that's why the in a day is so much different from the like multi-day in mm. a sense. Like if you are tired and you're not going to send your crux pitch for the day, you can take a rest day you can chill until it's dark. You can do whatever you need to do, whatever your tactic is, mm-hmm. to get ready to, you know, send that pitch, and that can be your only objective for the day. Mm-hmm. But when you're climbing, you know, when you're free climbing in a day, it either goes then or it doesn't, <laughs> and that's like, I don't know. It. I hope that this film that we're gonna make will kind of, I don't know, raise awareness to you, the difference. Yeah, because it's drastically different. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <Jess> is... <laughs> doing some social media in the background with our, our Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. We have a pup, a new puppy, which you just met. His name is Jerry and he's laying here upside down, just man spreading. <laughs> I mean, this is as good a time as any. Tell me about Jerry Doodleberg. Oh my gosh. We got, we got a COVID dog. We were like, we had been wanting, Jess and I wanted to get a dog for a really long time. And we were like, Oh man, we should just do it during COVID. Cause. It's like the perfect time to get a puppy. And yeah, we just like started looking. We we knew what we wanted and we just started looking for a dog. And we finally found one, like a breeder that had like a dog that we wanted. Mm-hmm. And we like snatched him up and now he is totally taking control of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> he is amazing. He is like the coolest. He's the coolest dude.
0: I just read an Instagram post from you about Jerry Doodleberg uh, today and I'll I'll read it. Okay. You wrote, Jerry Doodleberg is a mini labradoodle that bites my fingers with sharp ass piranha teeth and goes to the bathroom on everything I care about. Yep. But
2: I love him. Yep. That's, that is exact. it's still the same. I mean, <laughs> he is like simultaneously the most frustrating thing in the entire world and also the most amazing thing ever. Hmm. So I would imagine it's probably like having a kid. Hmm. I don't have any children, so. hmm <laughs> and probably won't for a while now that we've had this dog and we've realized <laughs> how heinous it is to have a puppy. We're like, Oh, Jess and I are like, Oh my God, this is so rough, but we're, we're sticking it. I think we're sticking it.
0: <laughs> Do you think it's easy? Was it easier? You think in an RV or would it have been
2: easier with, with more space? I don't know. So yeah, we just went and did a month long trip with him in a 28 foot RV and he was not housebroken uh, at the beginning of the trip. And, and now it was he, a rental, right? And it was a <laughs> rental, yeah. <laughs> and now he is pretty housebroken. He only had a couple accidents in the RV, which okay. is amazing. And we, we usually would like crate him, you know, like when we're away or when we want him to like sleep at night or whatever. And then like right away, we stopped using the crate and just let him like roam the RV. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was like three months old, three months to four months, basically, was mm-hmm. his age while we were traveling. And yeah, he just kind of like he's he's sent. It was sick, actually. I was like, oh, my God. He's, like, actually nailing it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and he, he he grew up in Yosemite for the past, like, I mean, a quarter of his life he spent in Yosemite. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really fun. Jess was, like, kind of manning the RV and the dog scenario on the ground while we were out shooting on the wall. Mm. And she would, you know bring the puppy out to like shoot next to her, like while she's like shooting long lens from the meadow or whatever, and just like have the dog right with her. And yeah, I don't know. It worked. (laughs) It probably wasn't perfect, but it worked.
0: (laughs) What is, I want to dig into that more. What does a month trip like that look like? Is it just work the whole time? I know you are, your name at this point is synonymous with louder than 11. Uh, And I'm sure people that haven't heard your name have seen many of your films, even if they don't realize that they have, but you're also an incredible rock climber. Um, I was looking at your tick list just earlier today and it's, it's mind blowing, dude, you've done over 400 double digit boulder problems up to V14, tons of stuff. I mean, are are you able to mix in climbing when you're on a trip like this? Were you bouldering Yosemite or?
2: Yeah. 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 I mean, it's hard. Like, I think that's like, that's the age old conversation that the balance freelancers have with like, you know, photo and video in that world, like, how do you find the time to climb but also you're out there shooting climbing it's like
0: well and most most people choose i think uh or or prioritize one versus the other to some extent and you seem rare to me in the sense that like you might have built the most prolific production company in the outdoor space and you climb at an incredibly high level still and you know it's so rare that you see both of those things i can't really think of many other examples at all
2: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a few people that still shred and that are, you know, in the photo video world, like Tim Kempel, for example, Mm. is a great example. He still crushes, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I think you like find, I, I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at climbing for sure. Like I'm definitely technically way better. And I also technically kind of understand how to train better, how to you know, focus on objectives better. Like when I was younger, I would just climb on everything all the time. And it was just like, whatever, right? Like barely ever like actually training, just like climbing in the gym like crazy on boulders that were set by whoever and going out and trying to send projects, right? Mm-hmm. Like it was, there was no like, there was no structure. Mm. And I think over the past uh, 12 years that a lot than 11 has been around, that I've kind of like matured into being a filmmaker and a photographer, but also still want to have like climbing goals. I think like, you just have to be a better, you just have to be better with your time. Hmm. Like you get to be more focused on what you want to try and achieve with the time that you have. And like, I mean, I have, you know, a significant other, I have a dog, like all this stuff starts to kind of add up. So you gotta be really wise with your time. And so I think like, it really helps to like make plans and goal and set goals that are like actually attainable, and I found that over time I've like gotten a little bit better at it. And I'm like I'm super Type A, so I like love, you know, like making a schedule, sticking to a plan, like trying to do something specifically. Hmm. But it gets really hard on trips. Like, if I like on this trip to Yosemite, like we sh- we drove out and um, we drove from Denver to um, Tahoe. And then we shot with Emily for a few days there for some film stuff. And then we drove down to Yosemite with her and we shot like a day of her working on the route. And then we took like a week off and just climbed and hung out while we waited for Emily to rest. And then eventually climb um, or make her attempt. So like, yeah, like, I don't know. We squeeze in some climbing time when we have it. And I don't know. I just like, I I would be just as psyched to spend 99% of my time at home in the gym if I get the opportunity to go on a trip and then like use some of that strength on a few like really awesome boulders that I'm psyched on. Mm. so my objective in Yosemite was to just climb a bunch of like cool highball v tens, okay because it was a little too hot to like really project like ultra hard mm-hmm. and I wasn't really psyched to like toil away on like some v twelve or v thirteen that I may or may not do in the time that I'm there mm-hmm. when there's like all these legendary like highballs that I've always wanted to do that I've just never been able to. oh amazing. yeah. So I just focused on like climbing a bunch of stuff and like getting a tour of the new things because James Lucas um, and his co-authors for the new guidebook had just dropped the guide and it was mm. like amazing because I had never seen all these new climbs or new old yeah. climbs. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Yosemite, and i I'd, I'd spent I spent like quite a bit of time in Yosemite over the years climbing on all kinds of stuff, but I didn't know where all the new cool stuff was. So mm-hmm. that was awesome. And we had an awesome squad. Like it was like uh, James was there. So he, he was like touring us around a little bit, showing us some stuff. And like we were there with Sean Rabatou and he was like just as psyched as everything, as everyone else on all the same boulders. And we just kind of like, I don't know, we toured around. It was like me and Sean and Alex Honnold and like a bunch of other people just like kind of like as a posse, like going around and trying stuff. Huh. And it was super fun. Yeah. And it was like weird in the valley this year because there were because of COVID, there's yeah. no foreign tourists. Because nobody's coming over from overseas. Right. So usually it's like there's a lot of Asian tourists and a lot of European tourists that just like they don't really go to the climbing areas, but they kind of clog up the rest of Yosemite. Mm. So anytime you're not at the boulders, you're like in traffic, or you're at the grocery store with a bunch of people, or you're like trying to like navigate Yosemite with like all these people around. Mm-hmm. And it was totally empty. It was awesome. We like we got campsites every night, like in the main campground. Wow.
3: And
0: yeah, that's so
2: interesting. It was so it was so awesome. The only other time that I've ever experienced that was um, I was actually shooting with Jorg on uh, the dihedral wall when the government shutdown happened. Oh, okay. And Wait, was that actually it? No, that was actually on the nose. The government shutdown happened and they closed all the federal national parks. Mm -hmm. And we were just like on the wall, like on a big wall, and there was no cars driving through the valley. It was Mm. totally empty. It was like back to nature kind of feeling, like you couldn't hear anyone in the meadow. It was sick. So yeah, those are like special rare times in the valley. Amazing. Yeah, it was fun. What were some climbing highlights from this most recent trip? Um, I did King air. I'd always wanted to do King air. It's like the most iconic V10 of all time. It's like <laughs> right off the road. It's like this amazing high ball. It's like, I don't know, 40 feet tall. Wow. And yeah, it was just, it was really memorable. Like Sean and I climbed on it together. I like wrapped it and cleaned it and got it all ready. And Sean is like, I don't know, five, six or something. And I'm six, three. So we're <laughs> like the opposite climbers. So, but he's like, you know, one of the best climbers that's ever lived mm. and his like his climbing style is so different than mine and it's just so cool to like work on something with someone that's totally different than you like he was doing like v10 moves like way off the deck that were like super chill for me because i could just reach between the jugs (laughs) and he's just like throwing down like way off the ground it was awesome (laughs) and like there's a really classic um there's like an aid practice aid climb like right next to it okay and so we're like We're like highballing like over these dudes that are like aid climbing, like with ropes. (laughs) We're like, we're like 20 feet above these dudes, like on ropes, like climbing on this boulder. We're like, this is so crazy. (laughs) So yeah, it was very fun. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah. So that was that was definitely a highlight. Um there's was just a bunch of stuff. I went there in 2011 and we made a film called Park Life, which was like yeah. a bouldering film about like me and some bros and like Natasha Barnes, like going bouldering. I
3: had her
0: on.
2: Yep. Yeah. And I watched
0: it again right before I had her on. I, nice.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was so fun. We <laughs> just great. like raged in Yosemite for like a winter basically. Yeah. <laughs> and and so like during that trip, we climbed like a bunch of the like really like classic stuff like Dogwood and Shadow Warrior and Yabo Roof and all like the amazing like V11, V12 things. Hmm um but i had never gone and like kind of ticked some of the like classic tens that i had always wanted to try Hmm. i've like still never done midnight lightning or the force or anything i just haven't like gone to them with the intention to like throw down on them yeah or with like good conditions and it just like kind of works out you got to kind of go with the flow in yosemite like okay it can be really hot and you know granite when it's hot is like it does not work Mm -hmm. like you cannot send at your limit. Mm -hmm. so if the conditions are good then you just go to the best project for the conditions and you try it or if Mm. if it's a little too hot you dial it back a little and you do something a little different Mm. so that was really fun and there was like a bunch of new school like tens that like jimmy and keenan and Mm. randy had put up like over the past decade basically Mm -hmm. that are all amazing that are all like very doable for for me and i was just like okay cool i'll just like go and like mission to this climb today and try and fire it and then rest all day while it's hot and then mission to another 10 at night when it's cool. And it was, it was super fun. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So you've, at this point you've filmed all over the world. I've heard
0: you say that you've spent probably more time on the side of El Cap than anywhere else filming,
2: at least as far as r- filming rock climbing goes. Probably so. Yeah. I probably spent, <sighs> I was, I was thinking about this the other day when Jess and I were talking about like, cause I I've been in, I, I think I've spent maybe two and a half years of my life in Yosemite now (laughs) because I I went there when I was uh, just out of high school I took like a a, you know road trip and I deferred from college and I was just like traveling with my buddy Nate at the time okay and we went to Yosemite we lived there for a couple months in the summer and you know then just like slowly started going back and back and back and like it's I don't know. It's just a good place to go and like, hang, like you can climb walls, you can boulder, you can sport climb if that's what you're into. Like there's everything there.
0: So that's what I'm curious about. Have you climbed walls? Have you free climbed El Cap? Are you interested in that? I've never free climbed El Cap.
2: I don't know why I'm not psyched on it. I just like haven't gotten stoked on it. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, totally, totally makes sense to me. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I'm a sport climber. Tell me why. (laughs) It just sounds heinous, dude. Yeah, yeah it does seem heinous yeah
2: I, honestly and and I've watched like all my friends climb on lcap and the majority of the climbing, ninety percent of the climbing is like wide, slabby off widths chimneys. like it's just weird, funky stuff, mm-hmm. and I've not really been that psyched to like delve into the funky stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like really like testing myself on hard boulders and like flash challenges and like projecting and I really like that aspect of it sport climbing I love all that stuff but like when it comes to like stringing together 30 pitches where you know 25 of them are going to be like I don't know you're just kind of like oh there's another wide thing that i have to navigate or like this one weird slippery thing and you're just like i don't know just didn't, i didn't get psyched on it hmm.
1: mm-hmm.
2: i've been up the mountain from you know the bottom to the top i don't know a dozen times now yeah but <laughs> and i've wrapped the wall a ton as well
0: do you enjoy that do you enjoy spending time on the wall
2: yeah 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 it's awesome up there yeah it's like so scary and amazing and it's like exactly <laughs> the same every time every anyone that tells you it's not scary is, is lying <laughs> Because it's... Emily said the same thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, Emily and I have talked about it all the time. We're just like, this is so messed up. I can't believe people do this. <laughs> and then you like go up <laughs> and As doing you're it. doing It's so it. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> when you actually do it, it's amazing. Yeah. Just like existing up there is so cool. There's so many special things that only kind of happen in that space. Yeah. And it's just like a... It's rarefied air, you know? It's like a special thing to be able to do.
0: At this point, I imagine you must be one of the best people in the world at like rigging and rope shenanigans and moving around in weird directions in space and and
2: that sort of stuff. I can definitely do a few things really well. <laughs> <laughs> what are, I would not what say are those? That, I wouldn't say that I'm like an expert rigger or anything okay. like that. I mean I can tie some knots and like lower off of an anchor but I mean yeah, I can like haul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i can do some basics but like i don't know i was up there i i um i had my buddy topo uh, assisting kind of like on the shoot day with emily for the send mm. and he's like a mountaineer he's like climbed k2 and you know he's done everest and like he's total badass alpinist mountaineer guy that's like one of the world's best for sure mm-hmm. and he's just like incredible on every level and, you know, he's up there, like, mountain guiding me around and, like, tying all these crazy knots that I've, like, never seen before and, like, doing all this, like, shenanigans that I'm, like, whoa, this is, like, really cool. I'm, like, I have no idea. I have, like, so little experience outside of my, my like, really specific expertise, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is, like, it, you do learn, like, really quickly how to, like, not get a rope stuck or, like, stack the rope so that it doesn't get tied in a knot or Mm -hmm. like how to jug more efficiently or how to haul something really heavy without putting a ton of effort in like you just kind of like learn these things over time and i never really had like a mentor i guess i just kind of like learned it from like working it out with Hmm. you know people that i was up there climbing with like Jorg and i kind of like on the nose in 2012 when he climbed the nose like we kind of just like learned how to do some stuff huh and then again, like with Emily on Golden Gate, like I, I was with her the whole time. Like we did all the hauling together. We, you know, jugged together. We did everything. All the mountain work was done together. Mm-hmm. And we started at the bottom and went to the top. And it was just like a learning experience. I don't know. It's yeah. Cool. In,
0: your, in your first video, you filmed them like learning how to haul on the side of a building or something.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emily and Adrian got like a how-to big wall guidebook or like a <laughs> whatever training book and they like flipped to, like the hauling page and like they were like okay we're gonna like set up this thing based on this diagram and then we just like did it on the side of them on the side of their apartment <laughs> and they like learned how to put up a portal edge yeah. on film it was like, oh it's great i mean that's like what that's what makes climbing so awesome hmm. i don't know it's just like learning that stuff is so cool and you just start to you start to like learn all these little tricks and you get more efficient and I am like obsessed with efficiency. So Hmm. if something's efficient and working well, I'm like, this is sick. Like this feels good. Hmm. So when I can like, you know, be efficient on a wall, it's even more gratifying because then you, you also have more time to shoot and you have more time to get in position. That's maybe different from like the main, you know, line that you're on or you're able to like rig around or climb some stuff to get in positions that you normally wouldn't like. You just, Affords you all this extra time. Hmm. And yeah, it's, re- it's really satisfying. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I'm interested in this efficiency thing. And I'd love to. One thing I'm really curious about with you is your training. Yep. Especially, maybe we can start here and then we can just hear about like kind of how you train when you're at home in the office and in a more normal schedule. But I'd love to hear when you go on a shoot, you know somewhere in a really remote area and you, you don't have access to bouldering like you do in Yosemite, you don't have time to climb for yourself. Are you doing training? Are you able to do any maintenance? Are you thinking about that? Do you just kind of like take the downtime and, and recharge and train when you get back? Yeah. How do you think about?
2: Yeah. I that? think like, uh, for something like El Cap, like if you're shooting on El Cap, me personally, maybe not Alex Honnold, but me personally, I am too wrecked after like a day of shooting up there to do anything for like another couple days afterwards. Okay. So you kind of like take it and, you know, it ebbs and flows when you're able to like get back in the game. Hmm. But if I'm going to jug, you know, 2000 feet of El Cap in a day, I'm going to call that like a training day. Like that's training. (laughs) Like I'm doing 2000 pull-ups. Like that's totally fine, you know? And I don't feel like bad about it. But I mean, like my finger strength is not like going to be as good after a season of shooting in Yosemite as it would be if I had been training the whole time. Hmm. But like, I don't know. I just get like, uh, I try to find like a, a good rhythm. Okay. So like, if I have time to boulder while we're on a shoot in Yosemite, like I'll take advantage of it. If you know, we can go to the gym, I'll take advantage of going to the gym, like just to, just to climb. And I think that like, once you have a good baseline, it is pretty easy to maintain with very limited effort. Mm. Like I started training with a guy named Steve Mesh mm. uh, from Salt Lake City. He kind of wrote a plan for me back in the day. And like, we had talked about like, kind of like what it takes to, you know, perform at a high level. And he's a tall dude that weighs about the same as me. Okay. And he's like a very high performing climber and he's an expert in training. He's been doing training type exercises, you know, forever. Yeah. Um and I've read a lot of his stuff actually. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing dude. Um, and he like kind of gave me some some pretty good information early on when I just started like really take training seriously, which was maybe, I don't know, eight years ago or seven years ago. And he basically said, like, 30 to 40 minutes, and maybe this is not exactly right, but 30 or 40 minutes of like fingerboarding a couple times a week will like maintain you. Hmm. Like you won't get any stronger. Hmm. Like you won't like be sending your proj probably, but you're not going to like hit rock bottom where you need to like dig your way out of like, oh my God, I can only climb V6 now. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. I try to like do something as little as possible to like just maintain it when I'm out like shooting or if we're on an expedition or something and climbing is difficult. Like maybe I'll bring a fingerboard, but. Like a portable board?
0: Yeah. What might
2: that 30 or 40 minute session look like? Repeaters. Oh, okay. On crimps. Yeah. I'm not so much worried about like big muscle stuff. Like I'm not worried about pull-up strength or anything like that. Uh I would just like to keep my fingers strong because that goes away fast Mm -hmm. for me. I mean, like I weigh 190, 195 pounds. Mm -hmm. So like, it's a lot of weight to be throwing around. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it takes like, it takes a little maintenance, but I, I just get like, I try and take advantage of fitness when I have it. For example, during COVID, I got really psyched on moonboard. <laughs> okay, and like two of my friends had moonboards at their houses, and those were like my main friends that we hung out with during COVID. They were like our pod, mm-hmm. and so I would just like rage on the moonboard all the time, mm-hmm. and that was my main thing for training. And then to be able to apply that to rock right away feels really good because you can like you're strong, mm-hmm. but if I went to Yosemite for a month, which I just did and basically didn't climb that much at all, I climbed for like, I don't know, five days or something mm-hmm. out of the whole month. Like I suck on the moon board now and that's fine. <laughs> but like, I'm not, a, I'm not like expecting to go out and like send my proj. Mm. So like, I don't know. I just kind of like try to use the strength when I have it. And if I'm not feeling super fit, then I'll just put in the time in the gym. Mm. Cause I think that's where it you actually get strong.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: If you train, I don't think you get strong. From just going to the gym and like climbing on boulders okay like
0: what's the distinction
2: there well i think if you if you go to the gym and you're just climbing on like the local route setters routes and you're just trying to like you know do you know this v10 or this v9 or this v8 or whatever your level is it gets you to a certain point but i don't think you actually get stronger okay i think your technique will improve slowly over time like everybody else's but i don't think you get the benefit of properly training that you get really strong fingers, you get really specific muscular strength. Like if you're training on a fingerboard, you can see tangible results over time. Mm -hmm. And you can see your progression, you can see yourself getting better and stronger. And that like, not only is just good for your strength because you're actually getting stronger, but you also see it. Mm -hmm. And mentally it goes a really long way. Like for me, like I train a ton Usually, not COVID time, but normally I was training a ton on a fingerboard. And, like, I don't know, you just grab a Beastmaker edge and you're like, this edge is, you know, like this edge that I'm using out on my project. And you're like, I know I can hang this with one arm with 10 pounds in the other hand. Hmm. And I know that I can just kill this hold. So it like changes you mentally. Like, I think you just go into climbing outside thinking, like, okay, I'm using feet and I'm using technique Mm -hmm. and this holds the same size as this thing on the beastmaker. like I should be able to slay this thing yeah and then you just do yeah because you just have that like (laughs) you have that psych and that strength and that knowledge that you're able to do it yeah and it's so tangible because you like see your you know your log or whatever is is perfectly organized and you're like okay I'm doing this now for 20 seconds I'm hanging on this this edge of this size and then I'm gonna level up to the next smaller edge or whatever it just it's very tangible Mm -hmm. and I really like that about training is that you can be like i mean it would be the same with lifting weights right like if you're bench pressing you know 150 pounds one week and then you're the next week you're bench pressing 160 and then you're 170 180 you're just like oh my god this is working Mm -hmm. and that goes Mm -hmm. a really long way sure like i think you get a little bit like you get like kind of climbing dumb if you just train yeah like if you just were training on a fingerboard all the time like your next day on rock or in the gym climbing on normal problems you'd probably be like a little like stupid with your body <laughs> like you'd like overpower some holds that you wouldn't need to or you might get tired or faster because you're just being too powerful
1: mm-hmm.
2: but like for me like i'm bouldering training i'm not like endurance training really yeah yeah so like strength and power it's yeah, strength and power yeah. yeah so it's like a little bit different than like probably if you're training for endurance okay Yeah, you just notice it.
0: I want to clarify something you just said. So is that the Beastmaker 2000, like that center rung?
2: Yeah. So what I started doing was, and this is like a Mesh training thing. Okay. He he basically says, um, what I was doing was like a lot of one-handed hangs. Okay. And you basically start on the biggest hold or the smallest hold that you can hold with one hand. At body so, weight. Yeah. Okay. So it could be any any edge, right? Like any edge on any board. doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And from that edge, you, you're you doing five sets of five seconds on each side. Okay. So you'd be holding that grip with one hand um, without any weight in your hand, and you just try and do it for five seconds. What and is your arm or shoulder position? You're like engaged. Okay. And the other hand is kind of like punching in the air. So you're like kind of like fully Maybe engaged. Maybe like a...
0: 120 degree
2: like isometric lock off yeah 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 totally okay and you're you're like you might tuck your legs up you're like kind of cored up you're balled up you're just trying to like kill the hold okay (laughs) and because it's hard right like it's supposed to be at your max yeah and you try to hand five seconds uh yeah not not closed crimp but like a half crimp okay basically okay yeah usually not open okay and yeah you're doing five seconds on on each hand and you do five sets okay so you don't level up until you've done it perfectly, mm. and then once you've completed five sets on each hand perfectly, then you can add weight into your other hand. Hmm. And basically, Mesh was saying you don't level up to the smaller, the next smallest hold, without doing either ten to twenty pounds in the other hand.
0: Interesting.
2: So you basically want to like be killing this crimp. Like yeah, you're you're owning it with a twenty pound weight in the other hand. Yeah, and you're just like a rock. Yeah. Then you can level up to the smaller hold. Yeah. Then you start again with no weight and you're gonna suck and that's fine. And you keep doing that one until you can <laughs> put weight in and then you level up again. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool to like see your progression because like you start out and you're like, oh my God. I'm gonna try this. You should. I'm it's really awesome. I'm really psyched on this protocol. <laughs> it's sick, yeah. Cause this is the stuff I really suck
0: at. Like I can I oddly can like I'm pretty good on small holds especially like full crimp small holds yeah. but i suck at like bigger holds half cramp with a lot of weight on my fingers like steep yeah. climbing really on your fingers you should super hard. definitely
2: climb on a kilter board then too okay because that's like mostly big holds but bigger moves between them too okay you can make it super steep which is nice okay. but yeah
0: couple more questions yeah. so um how much rest between your sets
2: the uh, five five? a lot because it's pure power okay so yeah. just You want to like be, I mean, it'd be awesome if you were like full blown fresh each time. Yeah. But like I probably, I probably do between five and 10 minutes. Depending. Um, it usually takes me like an hour ish to do like a full set. Okay. Maybe a little less. Okay. Um, but then I would also roll that into like a whole different protocol of weighted hangs and then mix that in with also a training session somewhere on the wall, either on the beast or either on the moon board or on boulders set in the gym. Okay. So like that would be like one of many different training days, but that day, for example, where that you're doing the one arm hangs um on the beastmaker edges, you would also maybe do some weighted hangs at your max, like two-handed. Two-handed, yeah, three-finger drags on the small bottom crimp of the 2000 okay um you do you do some max max weighted stuff there's a lot of technicality to it but you kind of find your max and then you dial it back from there to do your repeaters and you do uh, uh a set of seven i think it's seven repeaters so like hmm. you're on and then you're resting for two seconds and you're back on that's like seven sets or whatever mm-hmm. you do that once each on a bunch of different protocols but with a bunch of weight on hmm. so like i would do because i'm big right so like since i'm so heavy my weight is like crazy. Like, because I can, yeah, I can put a lot of weight on myself and then like hang from edges. Yeah. Cause I'm so big. So, <laughs> yeah. like, I could do like three finger drags on like the smallest peacemaker edge with like 130 pounds or something on me. Jesus. But Christ. like repeaters, you know? So, like, <laughs> Christ, you work dude. up to it though. You find <laughs> what your, you do a test day at the beginning of your training cycle and you like learn what your max is and then yeah. you like do a percentage less and you kind of find. You fine-tune it and you make it you know doable Uh uh-huh um but like i trained a bunch with alex biale okay um over the past year or two and like you know his his weight that he puts on him is a percentage of his body weight just like mine is Mm. so his weight is less than mine but you know he's you know 40 pounds lighter than me right so it's a totally different game for him like right his weight is totally different right so the fact
0: that you're hanging one arm with 10 pounds in your other hand on that edge at 195
2: pounds is like mind blowing to me. Well, yeah, I mean, climbing for 25 years too. So I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I started out as a really small climber, dude. Like huh. until I was uh, <laughs> until I graduated high school. I, I was a senior in high school, and I grew from like five to six three no shit yeah it was rough <laughs> yeah i bet <laughs> yeah and then and then after that i went to i lived in boone in north carolina for a year man and i deferred from college because i didn't i didn't even know if i wanted to go to college and i was like working in this like lumber yard like i was like lumberjacking okay and i worked for this company that made uh log cabin kits so like if you could probably i'm sure this is available almost anywhere in a mountain community you can buy like a you can buy like a house kit basically. Mm-hmm. So like you could buy like a two-room log cabin and they will come and like build that kit on your property for you, or you can even build it yourself. They just deliver it to you. Okay. We used to make the logs that would make <laughs> the kit. So we were moving like these huge logs like all day long. And I went from like a 6'3, like 155, 160-pound like little string bean mm-hmm. to like pretty big dude. I went I probably gained like 30 pounds of muscle in a year just working at this like log wow. place. It was crazy. <laughs> and you were climbing through,
0: you started climbing really young, right? At like 11 or something? 11. Yeah. So you're climbing through that whole growth spurt
2: and which was sick when I was ultra light and, and just small. way taller. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> I, I mean, back then, like, I mean, this is probably 2002 ish when I graduated high school and, um, I mean, like, if you climbed V11 or V12 back then, you were, like, a superstar. Right. right. <laughs> like, I remember, like, I climbed, like, some V12s, and, like, I got in, like, some magazines. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. can you imagine getting in a mag this day and age for climbing V12? It's, like, hilarious. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, like, I don't know. It was just, like, a it was a different world back then. Hmm. It was It was fun. I mean, I basically just, like, I worked the night shift at this logging place, and I climbed all day. Like I barely slept. All I cared about was climbing and like making enough money to survive and climb. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was pretty hardcore. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was really fun. Actually, we had a, I had a good crew of friends like in Boone, and we just like climbed on all these amazing climbs that nobody knows about that are like not in the guidebook still to this huh. day. And. Yeah, there's some rad climbing in Boone. It's amazing there. I
0: really want to go, actually. A close yeah. friend of mine's trying to get me out there. Yeah. You should
2: definitely go. It's so sick. But you have to go with a friend that knows it. Oh, okay. Who can show you around and okay. like, kind of tour you to the good stuff. Because there's no guides. Like it's mm. the best kept secret, I think. Huh? Not anymore. Yeah. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, but you still need <laughs> a kidding. bro that can take you around yeah, yeah, and yeah. show you. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. That That's really exciting. And then and then what? Did you go to film school?
2: No. I. So I went to App State um, in Boone for undergrad and I did, uh, graphic arts and imaging. So like Hmm. basically it was a graphics design degree, essentially more on like the technical side, less about like design and more about like printing and typesetting and newspaper magazine photo, uh, layouts, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I took a lot of photo classes, but Video wasn't really a thing back then. DSLRs hadn't like happened really yet. Mm -hmm. They were just starting to happen kind of like maybe my sophomore, junior year of college. Mm -hmm. But like, I didn't have like 600 bucks to spend on a camera. That was like insane. (laughs) Like if I could, I could stretch $600 for a long time (laughs) when I was like a climber, you know? So like, I don't know, you wouldn't want to like spend your money on a camera. But we, I remember I bought like, I bought like a Canon like, 6d or something like the first like Canon or maybe it was like a 6500 or something like that like slr that could shoot video too maybe in my junior year of college and i just started shooting video like all the time Hmm. and i had met at the time i had met this guy named jordan shipman who we actually i started the company with Mm -hmm. in 2008 and uh was he in that uh park life video
3: yes okay
2: yep yep yeah and we were we were um co-owners of louder than 11 until 20 15. okay and then we parted ways okay um but yeah so he he and I kind of like started it out he basically just wanted to film climbing and I was like oh my god like all my friends are climbers and I climb so let's let's get it you know and so we we just started shooting like crazy all the time and we had like a little JVC like handy cam it felt like very like skate style you know it was like yeah. it was it was rough, dude. Like, we were not making anything pretty at all. It was just, like, me and our friends, like... But know. it was, like, the only thing. It was the only thing, yeah. yeah and back much then, out there. the only other thing that was happening, the only other game in town was Momentum Video Magazine, MVM, or whatever they had their, like, thing. Huh. That was, like, an online thing. It was, like, Mike Call and okay. a couple other guys that were kind of, like, putting climbing films together that were just, like, beta videos, like, send films Yeah. of, like, all the hardest stuff getting done. Okay. And... We were just like, you know, I think that the internet is going to revolutionize video. And, you know, we weren't interested in making DVDs. Good call. Yeah. (laughs) You were like, DVDs are lame and we don't want to (laughs) like spend all our money trying to make DVDs to try to sell them and peddle them to our friends. Yeah. And so we were like, we're just going to make a bunch of free content and put it online and just see what happens. Hmm. It was kind of like, you know, that, um, you know, the South Park where they're like the underpants gnomes. And the underpants gnomes are are describing how they're going to like make it. And they're like, step one, like steal the underpants. And then step two was like question marks. And then step three was profit. So like, that was kind of like our method, right? We were like, okay, we have no idea how we're going to make money, but I think we're going to make money. Uh And somewhere in between, (laughs) we're going to like make a bunch of climbing films. We're going to go climb on all kinds of cool stuff and maybe we'll make some money. (laughs) I don't know. We were just like, whatever. Um, (laughs) So yeah, we went and like just filmed everything everywhere. It was awesome. Hmm. And it looked terrible, but people were like psyched because it was like, they were getting to see beta on a bunch of climbs. Mm. I probably made like 200 videos one year. Wow. Like of every climb that I did. Like literally every single thing of like me and my friends like all climbing. Like I think I made like 50 videos one year just in Rocky Mountain National Park, just mm. of like single send boulders, right? Yeah. So we were just out like getting it, you know? And like, we were like, we're going to climb these boulders anyway. We might as well film them. <laughs> like it takes no effort to put it on a tripod and like record it. And yeah, so we just did that for many years. And then I I basically was like graduating from undergrad. And I was like, I don't really want to leave Boone yet. I was like psyched on Boone. I wanted to like climb a bunch of stuff there still. So I was like, I'll just like go to grad school and like keep doing this thing. Hmm. So I went to grad school there as well. And I got a degree in like business and like a kind of a business tied into graphic design. Okay. And I wanted to open a climbing gym and like have a climbing gym and like still do the photo video side of things. And I was like kind of into marketing and stuff too. So I was like, I can kind of do the marketing for the gym as well. So I kind of felt like it was like a skill that would apply really well to also being a gym owner Mm -hmm. because I could market it and I could also do the promo work for it i could do the photos and the videos i could do all the stuff that basically you needed to do to own a gym including like running the business and you know the books and all that stuff so yeah like i was like psyched on getting a gym i actually almost bought a gym i made an offer with a couple friends to buy this climbing gym in charlottesville in virginia hmm. where i grew up and kind of a crazy story but the guy that we were trying to buy the climbing gym from was interested in selling it to us. And he like, we made an offer. It was like well over his asking price. We knew what it was worth and all this stuff. We offered him, you know, his asking price basically. And he called his wife and he was like, he was like, they want to offer us this much. Like, should we do it? And she was like, no, you need to do this. Like, you need to see this passion project of him owning the gym through. Huh. And they, he, I guess like denied us, you know, he was like, no, I can't do it because of my wife. Hmm. And then like, I think maybe a month or two later, he got in like a crazy drunk driving accident and like hit another guy on a motorcycle. He was the one that was drunk and uh, like, I think he killed the guy and he ended up like, I don't know if he actually went to jail, but he was like really hurt from the accident. And he like was implicated in this like, you know, like, manslaughter case yeah it was crazy and then he lost the gym but we had already kind of moved on and it was just like a crazy turn of events that ended up like we ended up not buying the gym and then we kind of went a different way and i kind of went all in on louder than 11 at that Mm. point Mm. so it was like a weird turning point because i was graduating from grad school wanted to buy the gym but also kind of wanted to get into photo video and then like really just dove into video at that Hmm. point
0: How has your, how has your vision for louder than 11 or for creating art and sharing stories? How has that evolved over the years from making short skate style, you know, sending films to, I mean, you're working on a feature film right now.
2: Yeah. 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 I think like, um, I think you realize pretty quickly that if you want to make it that, just shooting beta vids all day long is only going to get you so far. (laughs) And by make it, I mean, make something that you're actually proud of. Mm. I think that's the main thing is like, I could shoot, you know, the hardest sends in the world all day long. And that would be one thing. And that would be like, kind of like the mellow climbing side of things, right? Like Mm -hmm. they're interested in the best climbers in the world doing the highest performing climbs they can capture on film. And that's one thing, right? But then there's like, the narrative side of things which is storytelling which is telling people's stories that lead to great things and i i'm definitely the most psyched on telling people's stories but really like that are rooted deeply in performance mm. like i really like like high performing rock climbing mm. like i'm less inspired to make a film about like you know John Smith over here who, you know, climbs five ten, but is like interesting in their community or something like that. Mm -hmm. That's someone else's project. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not so psyched on that. Mm -hmm. Like I'm interested in like the best climbers in the world who also have rad stories who go through, you know, their ups and downs to get to their goal. And I think those are the stories that are like ultra inspiring. Mm -hmm. And they're also a lot of my friends. So I get to like, see what they're going through and like, kind of live it with them. It's crazy journey, it's awesome to capture too. And to also convey to your, you know, audience that wants to see what it takes to do these things. So that's what I really like. And also capturing it cinematically, like getting better and better technically at filming and storytelling, like filming beautiful things, but also storytelling within that is really exciting. It's a really cool challenge. And to be able to like tell someone's story really well and like evoke some sort of emotion from people watching is awesome. It's very satisfying. So I think I, r- I realized, like, yeah, I can shoot, like, my friends, like, throwing down on V12s or V13s all day long, and that's fine. I could probably have, like, a cool YouTube channel. But that's not going to, like, really be fulfilling long-term, hmm. I don't think. And that's kind of why, like, I'm I'm interested in, like, doing a feature and, like, you know, telling bigger more dramatic stories even like you know outside of the climbing world what does that look like well, i don't know i'm I, i'm gonna figure that out i think in the next <laughs> okay. few months i mean I, this emily harrington film is definitely the first like full-blown feature film that i've ever worked on yeah like i've made some like long climbing films yeah but there was no real narrative to them they were pretty pretty simple yeah like pretty simple narrative structure but like this harrington film is is a pretty detailed look at emily's life Mm. and what's gotten her to where she is today and you know all working towards this accomplishment of climbing el cap in a day Mm -hmm. so her like history is super compelling it's really cool like her dad shot her since she was born with his like you know handy cam vhs or betamax camcorder (laughs) and so we just have all this insane footage of her from you know When she was born until she left home, basically, you know, in her early 20s. Hmm. And it's amazing. Like, he went all over the world with her and, like, shot her in, you know, comps and, you know, traveled with her to go climbing and belayed her on her first 514 and all this awesome stuff. And there's footage of all of it. So, it's a really, like, it's a really compelling story of, like, one of the world's best climbers. Mm -hmm. Certainly, maybe the best living all-around climber that has performed across all disciplines which is yeah. really crazy like That's she's a, won world cups she's really you know, been point. national champion five times first woman to climb 514 in rifle second woman to climb 14b in america she went and like one year a ice fest she's you know multi-pitch track climb she's climbed el cap in a day she's climbed everest she's done the speed <laughs> record on cho you like the girl has done everything <laughs> Everything like as soon as you start adding all these extra layers, you're like, oh shit! Like yeah, she might be one of the most well-rounded climbers of all time. Mm -hmm. Like crazy her (laughs) accomplishments. So yeah, that's been like a really awesome journey to like Hmm. be able to doc because I've been documenting stuff with her, both commercial and non-commercial work for at least eight or nine years now. So we've kind of been through a lot together, which has been cool. So we've like traveled a lot together. We've you know had some highs and lows, and it's awesome to mm. like kind of ride that wave and and see these accomplishments and these benchmark moments like kind of happen, which mm. is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you have any like dream film projects that you haven't started yet or do these things just kind of happen? Like, you know, was this, was this film with Emily, was this like a kind of story that you were looking for or hoping to tell, or did it just evolve
2: and become what it became? It definitely evolved since, 2015 when she sent golden gate over multiple days and then she decided that she wanted to try to do it faster better and better style mm-hmm. and i kind of knew like i knew enough about lcap history and women's performance on lcap and how that would translate towards the like size of the story because mm-hmm. i mean she was the fourth woman to climb Cap in a day mm-hmm. she was the first woman to climb golden gate in a day but like just El Cap. Basically, one woman climbs El Cap every eight to 10 years in a day, <laughs> which is crazy. It, I mean, it started with Lynn, which was so insanely groundbreaking and like way, way, way ahead of its time, like mm. so far ahead of its time. Anyone will tell you that. And then like it didn't really happen again until late 90s with um, Steph Davis on Free Rider, And then Mayan Smith Gobot did another Freerider in a day ascend Mm -hmm. when she was trying to link it up with um half dome i can't remember if she actually did the link up or not Um, but she also did it so not many Mm -hmm. women have accomplished this and it's really important to to see those milestones in sport i think it's really really important and this was like a big step up from freerider it's still a little bit different than the nose but it's like a big step from freerider so like To go from, like, that accomplishment to Golden Gate is significant.
0: I know it gets... I know Golden Gate gets an easier grade than the nose. But how do you think it stacks up in, like, overall toil and, like, difficulty
2: and workload? It's so different. It's weird. Like, the majority of of the nose. I'm also like totally spraying because I've never done these climbs. But (laughs) (laughs) let's just be clear about that. You've observed closely. I've observed so many people climbing (laughs) on them. It's so funny. Yeah. But like uh, I I was with Jorg when he worked the nose Mm -hmm. in 2012 and then ultimately sent. And one thing I noticed about the nose is if you're already an elite climber, like one big distinction is that in the 2000s, The lifestyle culture of Yosemite shifted a bit. It used to be like you would go to Yosemite and you'd like climb some big walls, you know, aiding and free climbing some, but mostly aiding. And you're kind of like, unless you're Tommy Caldwell, you're there like, or the Hoobers, you're there to kind of like live the experience of Yosemite. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like going to climb some you're going to climb the Rostrum and Astroman and like the, all these classics but you're like people weren't really pushing themselves like crazy hard yet on El Cap mm. until like the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Every now and then there'd be a few people that would excel, right? Like throughout time, but since Lynn did it like it was kind of like a dry spell for a while before anything like really significant started happening on a a lot of people started going there. And then like all these elite climbers started going to Yosemite to like win and they were there to like send the proj right Mm. like tommy of course was doing his own thing and you know alex and brad did their thing and the hubers were doing their thing and there was certainly some stuff happening but there was also like this huge influx of like all these people that were like oh my god we can go free climb Mm. these climbs and then they just started ticking stuff off and people were doing like mostly free rider Mm -hmm. because it's the easiest line on the wall but like the the culture shifted from like aid climbers and people just going to like experience Yosemite to like some people that were really focused on performing on these free climbs on El Cap. And I think that once you see like Jorg, I think was a, a really good example of this. Like he was a amazing, very talented, very well-rounded climber that was like, you know, lead world champion that was like an absolute badass on plastic, like could slay. And also climbs V14 and, you know, 515 and whatever. He's like a total monster on the wall. And so when he comes to Yosemite, he's like, oh, like, I'm plenty strong enough to do these things. I just have to learn the, like, process. Mm -hmm. So he just toiled away on on the nose until he learned it, basically, and figured out, you know, what it took to climb it. And we kind of, like, we, like, learned a little bit together because most people, like, start at the bottom and go to the top. And they ground up free climb. And they learn as they go. But for something like the nose, you can really easily wrap in and try just the crux pitch, which is changing corners. Mm -hmm. I mean, the nose boils down to two pitches, the great roof and changing corners. The great roof is significantly easier if you're already an elite level. Changing corners is like kind of what you're going to focus on okay? to try to like figure out if you want to do this route or not. And if you can do changing corners, it's very likely that you can do the route. Got it. So like the great roof is like two thirds of the way up the wall. And then changing corners is like right near the top. Mm. It's like 200 meters from the summit. So basically like people just, you know, you can go up there and with a 200 meter rope wrap in (laughs) and you can micro traction all day long on the crux pitch Mm. and you can figure it out for yourself. And if it's possible, then you can unlock it. And that's what most people do. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think watching that evolution of like, the new school kind of coming to like crush these routes and like wrapping and like projecting top down and like all this new school stuff. Like Emily was climbing with like knee pads and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like she was, she wore two shoes in the monster, two yeah. pairs of shoes. Yeah. Like this is like a different tactic, right? Yeah. I so like, badly want to talk to her about that. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> so like, you know, you have like the Honolds and the, and the Tommies that are in their own league. It's like totally different. They don't even really, I don't think that they really understand the like mortals that are trying to also climb free climb hard routes on El Cap. Cause they're just so dialed. They're so good at it. Mm. And you can just tell that, that that's like their space, mm. that's their place. But like Emily, like at first did not belong, like mm. neither did York. Like they just, they just didn't quite like fit in to that culture. Like they hadn't paid their dues on the wall. They hadn't lived the like Yosemite lifestyle they just like came in like Jorg lived in camp four in a tent for months at a time. Hmm. And that's just like, you know, him and Kata, his wife would just like come to Yosemite and like live in a tent for a month and pick a wall and go do a wall. (laughs) And it was like, cool. It was like a different, I don't know. It just seemed different. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was really sick actually. Like Yorg, Yorg kind of like took his like skills and like kept compounding on them. Right. Mm. So he like he rope soloed, free rider. He did the nose. He did dihedral wall. Mm-hmm. Like he just started like ticking down these lo- down the line. Dihedral wall is like the second hardest on the wall. Like yeah, it's crazy. And he hard. was he was the first repeat, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sick, dude. Like the first. I love that video. It's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's so awesome. That accomplishment is so underrated. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you're climbing like a crazy granite sport pitch, like ten pitches up. It's like five fourteen. And it's, like, something you'd find in, like, France or something. It's crazy. Huh. It's awesome. And you're climbing 10 pitches of, like, 513 and 514 all mixed together. It's, Jesus. like, all in a row. It's nuts. <laughs> so it's, like, really sick. Like, I, I don't think people really understand. It's it, it makes the, like, climbing news, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if York climbs a huge wall, like, climbing and rock and ice might do, like, an article or whatever. But it's really hard to, like, get the mainstream to understand that stuff. Hmm. And that's why I'm really excited about this Emily project because it has mainstream appeal because Mm. you can understand like you can see she like wears her emotions right on her sleeve. Like you Mm. can see what she's going through and like physically she gets beat up along the way. And you can tell like these milestone accomplishments throughout her life are all leading towards this goal, which Hmm. is really awesome. So like I think it has that's why it's exciting to me is because as a narrative, it's like way more has way more depth than most of the climbing projects that I've worked on in the past. Hmm. Like I totally appreciate like the real rocks, you know, stories year after year are sometimes they feel like they're kind of out trying to find that story mm. and you know, they might go get that story somewhere. But like, I felt like I was embedded with Emily for a long time to get the prod to get the story. Mm. And it was just a different experience mm. than me saying like, oh, hey, like, you know, York, do you want to go try this for a film? And then we go and try it for the film.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was, it was her objective. Yeah. And she was like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, i guess I'll film it. Like, it's going to be crazy. I Maybe you don't even do it, you know? Yeah. And I think that, I don't know. It's just, it's really compelling. It's yeah.
0: So she sent you're thinking, oh my God, we're done filming. Thank, thank the Lord. It's been five years. Yeah, definitely. What now? Like how long until this film comes out for people to see? I mean, I'd love to hear like, cause I have no idea. I'd love to hear what the steps are that remain, you know, from finishing filming and having the whole story kind of in your pocket to having a finished film that people can
2: watch. Yeah. I feel like now the hours of, just effort are going to begin. Okay. <laughs> I've, that's like one thing that people just don't, I don't think understand about video specifically is that it is, it is such a process afterwards, like mm. just capturing, like you could, you know, I mean, ultimately we probably only shot on LCAP for a few days. I mean, maybe a dozen days total over many years. Hmm. Mixed iPhone footage with GoPro and Adrian filming Emily trying stuff and like, you know, her out alone trying stuff on the wall. Like there's so much content that's just been captured on her Mm. just on El Cap, just in the free climbing in a day goal. And I want to tell her story of, you know, her whole life up until then. So we I've basically spent the past two years just kind of collecting all the film and photo and content stories about her that have happened over her life which is awesome because you know her dad has a lot and she's also kind of like a media hound so like a lot of people have shot with her Mm -hmm. and there's all this great stuff out there on emily and her accomplishments have mostly been captured on film which has been really cool so like i've kind of simultaneously been building her life narrative from like birth to current and then i've also been kind of building like a um uh el cap in a day story Mm. so i have two like kind of paralleling stories that i've also edited quite a bit on like i've worked with another guy um this guy named matt who has been helping me edit it and basically just trying to build story string outs Mm -hmm. in the order that they happen so like We're just putting her life in order, basically. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. And uh, once we're done putting it in order, which is mostly done now, I have like two, I have one hour and a half long section of basically her early career. Mm -hmm. And I have an hour and a half section basically of like her attempt to climb El Cap in a day up until her fall. Okay. So now that I'm home, I've only been home a couple of days, but I'll spend the next month or two taking the content that we shot over the past month and cut it down, find out what's usable and what's good and where the story is within that footage and also work on all the interviews that we've taken because we, when we were there, we interviewed Beth Rodden and Jordan Cannon and Emily a ton and Adrian and Alex Honnold and all the people that were involved. We talked to them again. And, you know, We're just like each hour-long interview builds and builds and builds and you're just like, oh my God, I have so much footage and so much <laughs> story to work with. Uh-huh and God, I can't imma- doing this yeah. i like can't imagine dude <laughs> it's a lot yeah and, but we have stuff transcribed so like each interview is transcribed okay and then the transcription is faster to read and you can give it to a writer who can then kind of pick and choose quotes and moments from interviews. interesting and you can kind of build your scripts that way huh um while also building kind of a visual story to kind of go with your um interviews hmm. and yeah you just kind of like pick your themes and see what what scenes play out and what's strong and what's not strong. And you have to be kind of cutthroat. Like you might get attached to like some video that you think is really great, but if it doesn't serve the story, mm. if it doesn't make sense in your story, then you're just like, okay, see you later. Mm. You move on to the next scene, you know, and and you start to see like scenes come together, which is awesome. Like mm. that's when you know something's really strong and it's good is when you know, the narrative from your interviews and, you know, from y- your main characters and your supporting characters start to like support the visuals. Mm. And that's when it starts to like, have like life and three-dimensional life and feels really good. Hmm. And then at, when you're done, you can do your color correct and your sound design and your music and your everything, your graphics, all this extra stuff kind of adds to it and kind of like ties it all together. Yeah. And that's when it like really is awesome. Yeah. Cause it's hard. Cause like right now you're kind of working with rough footage. That's all raw. Right. It doesn't look, great because it's not is this really gonna turn
0: into a professional film
2: (laughs) i honestly don't know how it will and that's why you need to surround yourself with people that are better than you are at what you're trying to achieve because like i'm not like i'm definitely not a you know a finisher on color and sound and all these things that i'm going to have someone else do because they're going to do it professionally okay like i i could do basic color correction and like make stuff look decent but You know we're we're talking about shooting we have everything from like beta max tape to you know 8k raw footage off of like the best cinema cameras out there Mm. and you're just like well okay i guess like you know i could take a stab at it (laughs) or i could just you know you know find the money to pay someone to do it really well Mm. so someone will do color someone will do our score someone will do music licensing Mm. And we'll have sound design. Like, there's so many, like, little pieces that get worked on by different people once you get it to a picture lock where you're like, this is done. And then it can be polished.
0: How much creative oversight do you have with that sort of stuff, with, like, score and and a know, lot. graphics and stuff? You're yeah. pretty
2: involved. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. like, I would tell, like, I, I work with this guy named Mike Weidberg, uh-huh. um, who's a, like, a classically trained composer who does all of our score work or we'll source like licensing for like, if we want like a track from mm. Britney Spears or whatever on our film, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he'll go and like kind of source the licensing and work out the deal and like kind of figure out how it's going to work with our film. But he also like him and I'll sit down and watch a cut and we'll talk about like what type of mood and feeling we want with the uh, music or the sound design or whatever sound is happening. Sometimes it's just, you know, someone's, sound effects of them climbing Hmm. that is enough or it's what you want.
1: Just Um, their breathing, just breathing and
2: the helmet scraping against the rock and fingers and yeah, all the stuff. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's more compelling than music, but Mm -hmm. oftentimes he's scoring and he's like kind of just adding little moments that kind of accentuate the mood that you want to try to convey. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like I'll, I'll work with him for a week just on trying to get the right setup for guiding him towards what i want (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm.
2: and then he'll just be cut loose and he'll work on it for a while and we'll go back and forth on revisions and it it takes a while yeah yeah the same would go for graphics and sound design and color all it's all the same yeah it's just like a little like finishing for each one takes a different bit of effort are you
0: also working on other film stuff you must be working on other stuff throughout this whole process right like
2: other commercial work and totally I would say 90% of what we do is commercial stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, not narrative documentary film. Okay. Yeah, almost everything is like working for brands to create brand pieces or commercials, essentially, for their work. So, And mostly outdoor industry stuff. Yeah. And even if it's an expedition, it's still like oftentimes a brand piece that's like a commercial. Okay. Yeah. Um, it just depends right like every now and then you get a really amazing story like emily's and you're like oh my god this is a documentary film but most of the time you're going on a shoot and maybe you can make something from it like for example we went to vietnam with mountain hardware in 2018 and we were just there shooting like a spring summer like clothing shoot Hmm. we were mostly shooting photo and then I was also capturing video for a specific set of deliverables for commercial stuff for them, like, you know, this women's top or this men's bathing suit or whatever. Right. Like mm-hmm. kind of like Instagram pieces, email pieces, like stuff that can be used on social media, like all the like little bits and pieces that a company needs to promote like a, a brand seasonal catalog or whatever. But yeah, we, we captured like a whole actual story. Kind of in the process of being there shooting commercial stuff. And then we were able to make like a fun, like 20 minute documentary about Tim Emmett and Kyra Kondi, like deep water soloing together. Yeah,
0: deep water. Yeah. 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 I'll link to that in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. 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 And Amazing and that film. like
2: is awesome. Cause that's like a, a little icing on the cake. Like we didn't have to create a film from that. Cause we had already done the commercial stuff.
0: Yeah. Had you planned to beforehand or did I it mean, just. I mean, I kind of saw it coming
2: together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Like when we were, when we were there, I was like, oh, this is like a cool story. Like Tim is like a legend of deep water soloing. Totally. Like, he is like the, the OG. Dosage,
0: dosage movies. and Yeah. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And so, and Cairo is like this future Olympian, like totally out of her element, but it also like one sequel block. So she was like perfectly capable. And that's funny. Yeah. So it was like a funny pair and obviously Tim's hilarious. And so (laughs) the whole thing was just like a great, good characters, great setting, really compelling, like medium, like climbing over water is awesome. Mm. And it was just like, I don't know. It was a fun little film about a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was great. And then we did the film festival circuit with that. Like that was like, it wasn't meant to be a, documentary that would get you know bought by netflix or something it was just like it did the outdoor film circuit we got to like go to a bunch of places and show our film and do some fun stuff and then we just put it on youtube Hmm. cool yeah (laughs) yeah so sometimes like commercial stuff can turn into other stuff but yeah most of the work that we do is is like you know might be a shoot for buff talking about neck gators (laughs) or it'll be something for mountain hardware or an expedition with north face that turns into like a six minute you know promo on just like climbing lifestyle basically mm. mm-hmm. but sometimes you capture like a rare moment and you get to see someone do something like really amazing and that's when maybe it gets leveled up to a new level mm. outside of commercial
1: mm.
0: so you've described yourself as type A and you love efficiency and yeah. structure yeah. do you have any organizational tools any yeah. How do you keep all this stuff organized when you are on a shoot and you have something else that you're working on at home and maybe you have all these deliverables that you're keeping track of for the company and you're, you know, you're also thinking like, oh, this could turn into this 17 minute long film. Yeah. Any organizational tools or apps or anything that that
2: you use or, or rely on? Uh, well, I mean, for big commercial stuff, you usually have a producer. Okay. And the producer would usually handle like all your logistics, like everything from permits for your shoot locations to making schedules to you know figuring out where you're going to eat that night when you're done shooting Mm. or stay or how you're going to get to and from the place you're going to or the paperwork that you'll need the talent to sign off on there's like a million things that a producer does that's awesome Mm. it's like the best thing ever to have a good producer (laughs) and if they're like really good you're like oh my god this is like invaluable Hmm. but for like smaller stuff that we don't have like a full-time producer for like a line producer is what they would call it like someone that just handles one project basically
0: does that come like from the brand that you're working for do they provide that or do you do you find someone it's something
2: that they they the brand would provide a budget and then we would figure out if it's possible to hire a producer okay and then we would hire that person got it okay and we were i work with this dude named tyler from denver a ton and he's in the He's got like a reality TV background. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> he's like in. I mean, he's like an older guy. He's like you know in his, uh, you know he's a middle-aged guy, and he's basically an expert at producing. Like mm. that is, he is born for this job. It's amazing. He mm-hmm. can do everything. And so, like, you kind of just give him the lay of the land. You're like, hey, this is the project, and he takes it and runs with it. Mm. And he's like, we got to figure out this and this and this and this and this. And he's also handling the budget and, like, everything. So he manages the whole thing, basically. Mm. And then, which lets me as the director kind of, like, have the creative freedom to focus on, like, making it look the best we can and, like, tell the right story or, you know, achieve the right promotional or commercial goals, whatever we're trying to do. But if we don't have enough budget for a producer, (laughs) which is oftentimes the case, Hmm. I don't know. You just kind of like, I don't know. I make a lot of notes. I use Mm -hmm. Google drive for everything. Okay. So I'll just make like folders in Google drive with like all my organizational docs. And like, I have like a file structure that copy and paste into that Google drive, which is also like a reminder, like check sheet basically. Oh, interesting. Cause like, you don't want to like forget your location releases or your talent releases like halfway through your shoot, you're like, oh I mm-hmm. should have done that like before we even started shooting. So like there's a lot of things you don't want to miss. But then like, you know, if I'm the one that's like shooting and directing and, you know, backing up footage at the end of the day and kind of shooting to the script that I made, if it, if it's small enough, it's it just kind of works because you it's all in your mind. Mm. And you're just like, oh, okay, well, I know I need to do this. And if you forget something, you're kind of like, well, you know, you're not paying me enough to forget <laughs> things right now. So it's okay that I miss some stuff. Like mm. bigger budget stuff, you kind of like can't miss stuff because you have so many like checks and balances along the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like so many people end up being involved that someone will catch it, mm. you know? And even if like the client is there with you looking over your shoulder, they're like asking for specific stuff. And then if you get into the edit or the final delivery, they'll know because they were there mm. whether or not you actually captured it. So mm. usually you can be like, you're kind of like working with them as a group and you don't, you don't miss stuff as easily. Okay. Or if you miss something, then everyone knows you missed it. and It's okay. Okay. But if you're like, I think if you're shooting, you know, a project and it's just me or just me and Jess, for example, like oftentimes we team up, um, and she does photo and I do video for mm-hmm. commercial projects and like, she's an amazing lifestyle photographer and climbing photographer, So she yeah. totally like gets it. And so we can kind of work like side by side and I can kind of capture the same thing in video that she's doing in photo. Mm. So we kind of work off each other's setups and, you know, one of us will choose to direct the talent or whatever for a specific amount of time and we'll swap, you know, just like whatever we need to get, we get mm. done. But yeah, like when it's just the two of us, like I'll do all the, you know, footage backups and organizational stuff. I'm like really organized. So, <laughs> and Jess is definitely like more type B than me. She's an artist and I'm like a, like a by the books, like science person, Mm. but I'll do like all the, like, you know, backing up and organizing and I'll kind of like make sure we're like checking all of our boxes. Okay. Yeah.
3: Okay.
0: What about a day here at the office? Is there anything you do to provide yourself structure? Cause you, you know, you're your own boss. As far as deciding what you should be working on any given day, how to focus your
2: time, things like that. Any tools? Mm, No, I don't know. I, I am like, like I said, like ultra efficient. So if I like want to get, if I need to get something done, I'll get it done. Uh Like right now I'm like really stressed because (laughs) I have no deadline at all, but I really want to get all these photos edited from our time in Yosemite, but I just like want to get it done. So maybe I'll just like stay really late one day or like (laughs) wake up ultra early for like three or four days and just get it done. Mm. But no, I don't know. I'm kind of just self-motivated, I guess. Okay. I just want to get stuff done and probably to my detriment at some point because you end up like making stuff if you make stuff quickly and, and you're kind of rushed to get it done that can sometimes be bad your quality can go down but you know if you're like this Emily project is is a is a life goal so whatever time it takes to get it done is totally fine like I'm not getting paid by the hour right Right. <laughs> so I'm just kind of like I'm here to get it done like whenever but if a commercial project comes along that's going to help pay the bills like I'll dive into that and work on that until okay. it's done Okay. And come back to this other project okay. Just here and there, whatever stuff makes sense. You don't like make a to-do list for the day or like have a specific goal for the day for work or... I have a to-do list for my life. <laughs> 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 That's like a never-ending list that just, I just add to and mm-hmm. then I start to like delete stuff. Okay. But, yeah. I, I mean, I kind of know what has to be done. Okay. And then I tackle this. Keep a lot of it in your mind. Yeah. Okay. No, no. Mostly it's on a to-do sheet. Oh, okay. A big list of things that are yeah needing to be done. Okay. Yeah. Is V15 on that list? Dude, V-15 has been on my list forever. <laughs> I I tried to I tried to I, oh man. Tell me about the island. I have such a crazy story with this island, this stupid <laughs> island. I like um I knew I wanted to climb V-15. I got in touch with Steve Meish like forever ago. And I was like, can do you even think it's possible for someone that's you know 6'3 and 195 pounds to climb V15? Because Steve is a pretty big dude i think he's like six two or six three hmm. probably weighs like about the same as me 190 or whatever i didn't know he's that big of a guy yeah he's a big dude yeah um and he's like a crusher like he totally slays like he crushes outside but i don't think he's ever climbed v14 or harder i mm-hmm. don't think um you know you have to bring him on the you should pod you should do a i would love to he would be slay. you should hook it up yeah i will <laughs> yeah yeah he's awesome <laughs> amazing he's am- you could talk to him forever about training literally forever <laughs> um but anyway My yeah so like be
0: so psyched
2: he would be yeah. <laughs> um and he's amazing i think his like his tactics are the best but and best for me because i'm a big dude and i can like relate to this guy yeah i can't relate to sean bailey right like, i can't relate to like daniel woods mm-hmm. like those guys are in a totally different world like they might as i might as well not even be like in the same climbing planet as them <laughs> So, like for someone like me to connect with Mesh was awesome because he was like, these are the tools you need. Like he was like, I think you can do it. Hmm. There's like very few people that are big that climb hard. Like there's Tony Lamprecht. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't find any actual stats on him. I was talking to Ethan Pringle about this last night, actually. We were like, <laughs> we were complaining about how <laughs> about how like Megos weighs like 125 pounds. We're like, that's basically cheating. <laughs> um but we were like yeah this is not fair that it's not fair that i weigh 195 pounds and that megos weighs 125 pounds and that we are in the same sport like <laughs> right. competing on the same objectives yeah there's no weight classes in outdoor bouldering exactly yeah like if there was like a welterweight class and a heavyweight class like i'm cool with that then like right. there's some perspective for my accomplishment. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm just, like, some fat guy, like, trying to climb, like, a V-15. That doesn't make any sense to people that are just crushing V-15s all day long. Uh Uh-huh. Like, Drew Ruana cannot imagine what it's like to have 50 pounds on his back (laughs) when he tries to climb V-15. I would like for him to have an understanding of that. But anyway, like, I was like, oh, man, I want to climb V-15. Like, it would be so sick. Like, that would be, like, that's such a benchmark pinnacle achievement that I was like, this is what hard bouldering is all about. Hmm cause I can definitely climb V14. I've You've basically climbed a couple. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I know I can do V14. It became less interesting to climb 14 now that I had done it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'd like to climb 15. Cause that feels like a, like a proper step hmm. above what I thought that I was capable of. Mm-hmm. And so I started training like crazy and I kept doing these like training blocks and I kept picking hard projects to try and do. And like, I would like, train. And then I'd pick like a V13 and I would go and do it and it'd be fine. It'd be awesome. And that was very rewarding in itself. But I ultimately had the school of climbing V15 and Jess and I had just started dating. So I was spending all this time in France because she lived in Paris and she was going to school in Paris. And so I was going to Fontainebleau all the time. And I was like, oh my God, the island is like so sick. It's like the dream project. It's also really ideal for tall people. Mm. And so I started training for the island specifically. Can
0: you describe it for people that haven't seen it?
2: Yeah, so the the big island is basically a couple pretty easy setup moves on a 50 or 60 degree overhanging roof that lead into like very wide compression on very bad slopers, mm. highly conditioned dependent slopers with like weird technical... And powerful heel hooking and squeezing. It's just squeezing, basically. Mm -hmm. I'll link to uh, some videos of it. Totally. For people, yeah. Josh Larson and I made a funny video of us, like, sucking on it. Oh, perfect. Falling all over it. (laughs) It's called, like, failure in Fontainebleau or something like that. Perfect. Okay, I'll find it. Um, So it's basically just, like, a a really hard compression line distilled down to, like, five or six, like, hard moves. Okay. Um, Really subtle slopers and, like, really condition dependent grips that are like, it has to be, if I'm going to climb at my physical limit, it has to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So I like started training. I spent a couple trips there. Like I climbed on it a bunch. I was like, okay, I know, I know the distances between holds. I know the steepness of the wall. I like put simulators in the gym and like was training specifically for those moves. And then like also doing Masha's program. And then Jess is a dancer Mm. and she grew up as a dancer. And so i wanted to get better at splits because i have zero flexibility Mm. so i was like oh well i'll train to get better at doing a split so that i can get into these heel hooks better Mm -hmm. because it's two wide heel hooks that are it's not a split at all but it's like wider than i'm used to and so i trained stretching to get better at splits for a few months leading up to like going there to send okay i want to circle back to this yeah 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 (laughs) okay oh yeah there's a lot there's a lot more to this yeah and so i got like way more flexible which was kind of cool yeah and i was like oh my gosh like i think like all these things are lining up like my training cycle was like gonna end right when i was gonna go the weather in fontainebleau was like splitter dude it was perfect
0: (laughs) which is rare there so
2: rare it was like a two-week period where it was like amazing like bone-crushing temps and i was like i'm gonna go kill this boulder (laughs) and we got there and my first day on it i fell on the last move damn i was like oh my god i'm gonna definitely do this climb yeah and so i like yeah like i was like highly confident and i that first day when was this this was in 2018 okay spring february of 2018 okay and i went there basically like like i don't know what's gonna happen set myself up for success try my best and i like almost did it on my first day i was like oh my god Totally. I have like a month here. I'm definitely going to send this thing. It would be weird if I didn't. Mm -hmm. And after that first session, I took a day off and I went back on the third day, basically of being in France. And the heel hook section is like a super wide compression heels, right? Mm -hmm. And I had been doing like the split training. So I knew that I could reach these two heel hooks from like, I just knew my, I knew the body positioning. I just knew the distance. Like it was kind of at my max, mm-hmm. but it was comfortable enough. I could do it when I was, after I had trained to do splits.
0: And you'd done it day one.
2: And I'd done it day one. No problem. Like, yeah. I got like, I, for the, like the first time ever I swung into it, I was like heel hooking. No problem. I was like, oh my God, this is like sick. And the, on the third day after a rest day, I went back and I was like, this is my day. And I pulled on and I could not get into the heel hooks. Like, I couldn't physically get my legs wide enough. So I, like, stretched for a while. I was like, this is weird. Like, I wasn't, like, going to send that day. I was just like, oh, I'll just mess around and, like, get better at the moves. Like, dial it in more. And I was like, oh, it's weird. Like, my flexibility is, like, kind of whack. Like, I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll just stretch some more and it'll get better. And the boulder is, like, maybe sits, like, four feet off of a, like, a big slab behind it, big rock. And when you fall, you fall onto the pads, but kind of on your back and your butt. Mm. And I don't know. I didn't think anything of it. Like the falls weren't that bad. They can be kind of violent, but you're falling like two feet. So mm-hmm. it's like whatever. And then I started having like this weird back pain. And I was like, this is weird. Like never had this before. And my flexibility went way down, like even worse. Like the next day I could barely even reach down and touch my knees, Whoa. like bending over. And I was like, oh God, I'm like injured. <laughs> I was like, something <laughs> happened. I was like, something is like wrong. And I yeah. went and like got... Some, like, massage and some other stuff, like, you know, locally in France. And eventually, like, I was just, like, debilitated. I, like, could not climb in any position that was, like, weirdly wide with my legs. Uh So I was, like, okay, so I'm definitely injured. Totally bailed on the island because I couldn't even, like, get on the wall, basically. And over the next, like, month or two, I, like, progressively got worse and worse and worse. And uh, I went and got an MRI, and I had herniated two discs whoa yeah so both like my l4 and l5 disc had like totally blown out but i had it wasn't like painful it was weird it wasn't painful and it it, it, all it did was limit my mobility Hmm. and my like ability to like lift my legs really high to my chest or go really wide with my legs Hmm. so it was like a really weirdly non-painful injury that was very limiting
1: Mm.
2: so i was like okay this is like this sucks (laughs) and i was like i don't even know what to do like I started seeing like a variety of PT people. No one could really like make it any better. And then, like around Christmas, winter, basically of 2018, my like I started getting really bad sciatica. I don't know if you know about sciatica, mm. but it's horrible. It's like a pain that you get in your legs from um, your nerve being pinched yeah. by the ruptured disc material. And so when the disc material pins your nerve against your vertebrae it can do nothing and you'll be totally fine and you won't even notice it. Like they say, tons of people have degenerative discs that push on their nerves, but that don't produce any pain. But some people have pain from it and it turns into sciatica and it's this pain that goes down your leg and it radiates on your leg and it's crazy. And like in late uh, 2018, I like completely lost feeling in my left leg. And then I lost all the strength in my left leg. So it was basically like One limp, paralyzed leg, and what they say they call it drop foot, which is when your your foot kind of just hangs, okay, and you can't lift your toes up. Oh, interesting. Because your nerve is impinged, and so when your nerve is pinned, you just don't you don't have any feeling, and like just messes with it. Like it's all your it's how your brain tells your muscles to move. Yeah, and so like I couldn't walk at all. Jesus. So I was on crutches, and like it was crazy. (laughs) I I like. Was like, oh, my God, I have to schedule surgery or something to get this fixed. Because, like, all these PT people were, like, trying to help me and it wasn't working. And, like, the PT people were, like, trying to, like, baby me. It wasn't working. Like, they were, like, they are treating me like I was, like, going to be injured forever, basically. Mm. They're just going to treat the symptoms, basically. And I, I went through, like, six different PT people, all of whom did basically nothing. They gave Hmm. me some massage and like some basic, really simple exercises, but weren't like dedicated to getting it fixed. So I was like, I'm going to go get surgery because I have to have this fixed. And like, basically like weeks before I went to get surgery, I connected with this dude, this PT guy that was suggested to me by the back specialists in Boulder. They're like, this guy is the guy. So I went to him and he was like, we can fix this because he had had the same problem. Hmm. He was a climber. He like kind of got me on the road to recovery and fixed me totally. Like I was on crutches for like I went to uh, I went to uh, Vegas to go climb a red rock with Jess so she could boulder and I crutched everywhere, <laughs> like miles and miles and miles a day. And it actually helped a ton because when you're on crutches, it like lifts your torso up <laughs> and it spreads all your um your vertebrae apart. Yeah. Like so when you're, like, when you're in traction, yeah, it was amazing. It was basically like being in traction for a month. We were just like going out climbing. like I was just the hiking around. Yeah, it was amazing. That's like rugged terrain too, man. It was rugged. Yeah, it was hardcore. I like crutched like six miles a day for like Jesus. three weeks. It was awesome. And that actually made me like way better. Huh. And then I, do- I dove like hardcore into PT and then eventually like got better and better and better. Okay. But long story short is the island kicked my ass. Yeah. And... I know that i was capable but like i think i need to find a new project basically really <laughs> yeah <laughs> because Damn. i think i could probably do that climb again but yeah my, my my range of motion and my like flexibility is is totally different now it's still messed up oh yeah it's going to be i think for the rest of my life wow it's totally different like putting socks on in the morning is the most embarrassing thing you would ever see wow. like it takes me forever to put my socks on <laughs> But I'm like, I can still go climb, be 13. Like it's really weird. Like climbing is really specific. And I think like I spent so many years bouldering, like, and I think that you'll probably see this in aging climbing population in the next 10, 20 years. Okay. You'll see a ton of 30, 40, 50 something year old people that have bouldered most of their lives, Mm -hmm. that have bouldered a ton in the gym, that have bouldered a ton outside, and that have taken tons of falls. And I think a lot of those people are going to start to get older, and they're going to start to have the same problem that I had. Hmm. And like, I think that that population of climbers is just starting to hit that that place in mm. you know the evolution of climbing and bouldering. Like when I first started climbing, bouldering wasn't like a thing. Like we just, nobody bouldered in the nineties. <laughs> right, right. Like I grew up like sport climbing at the New River Gorge. Like we bouldered on like a local boulder in Charlottesville, but it was like just to practice for like sport climbing. Mm -hmm. And then when we were like getting into bouldering, we were like, we were like, this is cool, but like low key cool. We don't want like people to know we're bouldering because like, they're like not into it. We didn't want to be like lame. (laughs) And then we were like, "Uh," you know, like screw it. We love bouldering. We're just going to like fully dive in. So like, I think that the population of people that are now getting older are probably going to start to feel those growing pains of having been bouldering for 20 years or whatever. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. So I think that's coming for a lot of people. How old are you now? 36 okay yeah yeah 37 in may
0: is it still improving at all are you still working on it doing anything
2: yeah i still work on it but there's good days and bad days huh like some days i feel totally fine and i have like really good range of motion and flexibility and socks go on easy yeah socks well socks never go on easy (laughs) but yeah i just feel like better and then other days you're just like i can't do normal stuff it's weird it's so weird it's so frustrating it makes me crazy, dude. I bet. Yeah. I can't imagine, but I that could. It sounds so frustrating. I like. Um. Uh. There's, there is some surgery that you can get where they can go in and like, they essentially clip the disc material away, mm. and it is removed or it dissolves, and it relieves the impingement on your nerve. Mm-hmm. But your body is still react is still going to react like there's a problem there,
1: hmm.
2: and it's going to take a while to get over you have to like retrain your brain to be to understand that the injury is gone and that you can be you know your normal self again Mm -hmm. um but it takes time and tons of pt and tons of money Mm. and like it's just like it's a total time suck damn and it's a kind of a bummer like it's but it's i don't want to make it sound like it's like end game it's not like at all like i can definitely still climb b13 like for sure Mm -hmm. but i just don't know that like specific things i can't you know perform on like i used to mm. and they just kind of know what they are now and it's like really little like subtle things you know like wide heel hooks wide heel hooks or really high feet that you have to like engage the toe and like, like pull really with the toe. pulling with toes on steep is really hard huh so it's like little things and you just choose your battles you know sure yeah do you have a,
0: a dream a new dream v15 or man, I don't know. I like. Prodige. I have
2: a lot of. I, I've kind of like. I guess my my thinking has evolved a little bit. Okay. I'm less interested in like trying to find just one single graded climb to send so that I can say that I've done that thing. Okay. I'm. I find that I've gotten much more psyched to like go to specific lines that I find really inspiring. Mm. I'm way more interested, like if I'm not inspired by it, like I'm not going to be psyched to put all my time and effort into mm. something. So I like try and find things that really inspire me. And like, if I can, if it works and it feels good and like I go to a project and it feels like something I can maybe do, then I get psyched and try and do it. Mm. But like, I don't know, I've gotten a little bit better at like sampling and not getting like drawn into something that might not be something that I could do, or that would be a doable in reasonable time mm-hmm. <laughs> or in a country that's accessible or convenient or whatever. Like there's, I mean, there's gotta be 10 climbs that I want to do. They're on my list. I have like endless lists of things that I want to do, but <laughs> yeah, like there's plenty of stuff to uh-huh. do. Um, I just have been finding more psych and like iconic lines okay. that are lines because they're rad.
0: Can you share an example
2: or two? Like I would love to do, um, dream time from the Sit. Mm. I'd love to do the understanding that thing mm, in that Nolly did. Yeah, the, in and, Magic Wood. Yeah, in Magic Wood. Yeah. Um, that looks incredible. Yeah. I'd love to do The Nest. Mm. Like, there's, like, a lot of things that are, like, the best of the best. That that new thing that uh, Giuliano did in Switzerland looks so sick. The crazy, like, it's like a weird, like, slabby roof, like, comp climb into, like, these crazy big moves. Okay. It just looks amazing. Like, I would just like to find lines that inspire me. I'd love to try Practice of the Wild. Like things that are ultra iconic for a reason, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. And yeah, maybe one day if like I can get over this back thing and find some renewed flexibility (laughs) to get back on the island would be sick, but Mm. I just, I don't want to like get hung up on it either. Uh It's not, I don't think it's worth getting hung up on. Yeah. Okay. Also, Fontainebleau is a really hard place to have a project because of the weather weather is so gnarly Mm. it's like the best place in the world i love that place more than anything (laughs) in the world and it's the best place to have bad weather but it could be kind of like a bummer when you go there for a month and it rains for three of the weeks that you're there damn yeah that's rough. rough
0: yeah i'd love to well i should check in with you yeah um we've been talking for a while are you good to go for a little longer yeah yeah totally I would love to circle back to a couple of training things that you mentioned. Totally, let's get into it. Let's start with the flexibility. Yeah, because this is something. That... Hey friends, I hope you enjoyed part one. Part two will be available next week, unless you are listening to this in the future, in which case you can go listen to it right now. Episode fifty-three, right there in your podcast app. I put out a follow-up with Steve Bechtel last week. If you haven't heard the teaser for that, I highly recommend it. It was a great conversation, and the teaser explains how to get access to the full thing. I believe the full conversation was a little over an hour and 20 minutes. Thank you all for listening to another episode. Much love, as always, and see you next week for part two.
1: Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13. Sing 1, 2, 3, 4, Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it.